welcome to episode six of True Cult Pop, the broadest and yet somehow the most elitist gatekeeping <laughs> and most obnoxious music podcast on the face of the planet. How's that worked out? I don't know, but it has. My name's Stephen Hill. Hope you're very, very good. And joining me, the uh, <laughs> the Penny Mordant to my <laughs> Rashud Sunuk, as Joe Biden calls him, it's... Um, the uh, Minister for Riffs, Sam Slight. <laughs> Hello, Sam. How are you doing, mate? I'm well, thank you. I'm glad that I'm a minister of something rather than just, I don't know, some sort of bit of titillation for the old right-wing gammon men out there. <laughs> You're that as well. I am that you as are, well, to be fair. You I mean, are this, that as well. This Bilecaster shirt, you know, it really, you know, I'm not beating him off with a stick, to be honest, mate. Bilecaster? Yeah, yeah. Bilecaster, uh, to be honest, they're my mate's band. They're a sludge band based here in Leicester, and they're actually really properly fucking good. Um, they've only got a couple of demos out at the moment that are quite scratchily recorded, but if you ever see them on a bill, worth worth going to. I think they're playing with Kurakuma quite soon in somewhere in the Midlands, you know. Bilecaster, that is a pretty good name, that. They took it from a Moloch song, who are another like really nasty sludge band. I mean, Biocaster call themselves Negative Sludge. That's their kind of genre tag on um, Biocast on Bandcamp. Bloody hell. That is a bit much. And I think they are quite... That appears to be a skeleton in a coffin. Yeah. Some more skeletons surrounding the coffin. Oh, how bleak do you want it? (laughs) It's quite bleak. (laughs) That is quite bleak. They're all really Um, nice blokes, to be fair. As is often the case with extreme music. As is often the case with extreme metal. I mean, have we touched on this ever before? How nice people in extreme metal bands tend to be. Not the fucking murdery Nazi <laughs> ones. Yeah, I get that. Oh, no, Var- are... Varg. He makes a mean casserole. <laughs> he makes the ADs. And not... He's totally misunderstood Varg for Kernis, really. <laughs> He's copyright not, Stephen Hill he, 2022 he's not, he's not by the way that is a joke <laughs> no in he's terms not. in terms of extreme metal musicians I mean the only one I've ever spent any amount of time with uh, was quite apt for a segue in a minute Barney Greenway I got to interview him and he was fucking lovely intense but bloody what a nice bloke love Barney Greenway mm. love Barney Greenway they're really nice I tell you that's a really nice thing I said this before the guys from Cannibal Corpse I have heard so friendly yeah I mean really I've heard especially men corpse grinder you know he is the almost got to sort of meme status where there's so many pictures of him with like beanie babies and playing warhammer and stuff like that you know he's got the the, the mm. horde tattoo crest from warhammer on his um left forearm you know he just seems Better lovely is, but good yes go on well it's a nerd thing basically steve so you wouldn't understand being, wouldn't the, being the chad of podcasting that you are. <laughs> i don't know what that means either but good <laughs> yes you're right um yeah uh, he's really nice i'll tell you uh the what's his fucking name the drummer Whatever the drummer's now, I can't remember the drummer's name now, but I tried to interview him. They wanted to do a thing. I think I've said this before about how they wanted me to go. And I was at a festival and I was going for Hammer and they were like, while you're there, if you see any musicians, can you just say, here's a list or like, or, or can you name like an album that's come out in the 21st century that you love? Because we're doing the best like 150 albums of the 21st century or something. Right. And I went up to Alex Webster and went will you do it and he went oh, no, the drummer will do it <laughs> and he was like yeah i'll do it what is it and he came over and i went just a record that you love from the last decade you know what he picked go on he picked the self-titled debut album from the presidents of the united states of america Ooh. which came out in 1994 <laughs> yeah yeah 95 well, and not- <laughs> is not very metal at all but he loved it he was like oh, i love the president so i was like good for you I quite like that Presidents album. It's just pretty good, you know? I mean, I don't know if I know the album. The only 
presidents of the United States that I listen to regularly is on the work playlist. There's their cover of Video Killed the Radio Star, and I always think that it's Weezer. <laughs> it's not Weezer. It's not do Weezer. You like, do you know, you, you must know uh, the song Peaches, surely. Uh, ooh, probably. I mean, not immediately to recollection. I mean, I definitely Bloody know... Hell, really? Definitely know Lump. Oh, Lump. Yeah, Lump's yeah, not yeah, as big yeah. as Peaches, though. No, is it not? Moving to the country, gonna eat a lot of peaches. <laughs> that song? That sounds like an advert. Fuck me. This No, it's not an advert. This is mad. This is this, is this week's forget. 90s thing, isn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah it yeah. is. I mean, that's that's insane. Uh, anyway. Well, hello, I can everyone. teach you about memes. You can teach me about the presidents of the United States of America. It is. It's. Uh, it, it, I think we. It's uh, a fair trade-off. That's all I've got to teach you about that. Um, <laughs> really, we'll do. I tell you what. Give us a little tweet. Say, would you like us to do <laughs> on our Patreon page the album "Presidents of the United States of America" by the Presidents of the United States of America? Because I'd happily go back to that record. What a silly little record. Anyway, look on the show this week because we had Murkish Dave on the show. Thanks very much for your comments regarding that episode. I thought it was a really, really great episode. We're back to just me and Sam talking shit again, and we uh, we missed a, a week that was stocked, packed, full, tight with brand new albums. So we're going to be catching up on what was a big week last week uh, with reviews on new releases from Taylor Swift, The Arctic Monkeys architects plus the new albums from devon townsend loyal Carner that came out last week as well and an ep from sugar horse if you'd like to go to the true cult pop patreon which i just mentioned a minute ago you can suggest the presence of the united states over there <laughs> patreon.com forward slash true cult pop sign up for the your cult pop one pound and above tier you can suggest a record we've had a lot of suggestions recently We'll try and get through as many of them as possible. We'll do a podcast once a week on one of them. Coming up tomorrow, if you're listening to this podcast the day that it comes out, me and Sam are going to be talking about Orange Goblin's Eulogy of the Damned record, which mm. will be fun. Speaking it will be. riffs. Yeah, big riffs. That'll be a mate. laugh. Mm, big, big riffs. And if you'd like to up that support to £5 a month, you can sign up for our true classic pop tier where we choose every other week an album which we think is worthy of classic status and we debate and discuss and dissect said album we've just put one up this week just wednesday just gone on scum by napalm death as we threatened we were going to do last week turned out to be a pretty interesting chat i worked out sam that the amount of time we took talking about the song you suffer from that album Mm. was actually I reckon between kind of 20 and 30,000 times (laughs) longer than the actual song itself. Quite possibly. Yeah. I mean, the the length of the episode that we did, which to be honest, I thought was going to be a lot shorter than it ended up being. I mean, you could listen to Scum five and a bit times over in the time it took Mm -hmm. us to debate and discuss the merits of said album. Yeah, I mean, that's what got me thinking about it because actually Sean, Sean, all right, mate, um, actually tweeted us and said, uh, it's just like four and a half times longer than the album, the Mm. podcast that you've done on it. And I was like, taking that to its most ridiculous conclusion, which is Snape, I'm death. We might as well do that. Absolutely. Yeah, You Suffer. We probably spoke about that for about six minutes. That's like an insanely bigger amount of time than it takes to listen to that song. Ridiculous. Into the hundred tens of thousands. The post-metal version of You Suffer. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It really is. But um, 
I love doing that. I mean, look, we've both spoken about Napalm Death a bunch of times on various things, I think. Well, I have anyway. I don't know if you have. I've spoken to a lot of people in the pub about it and they usually just go, can I I have my beer, please? And I go, no, no, let me tell you why Diatribes is the weakest and still a (laughs) seven out of ten. You will listen to me talking about Utilitarian. (laughs) You will. Uh, Yeah, and uh, I mean, I just fucking love that band and I've always thought of Scum as sort of, I don't know, really, you know, the, the interesting starting point, but I actually found myself loving the record loads more than I mm. thought I loved it as we went on through the, not actually through the special, because obviously, but in the sort of build up to doing the special, I was like, do you know what? I do actually fucking love this record. Yeah. It's great. It's, it's fucking great. Because Napalm Death are just the fucking best, aren't they? The, the fucking actual, actual best. Uh, anyway, before we move on and talk about a few other things, Let's talk about the various songs that have been stuck in our head this week. I'm going to start, Sam. Go I went on, out for a, went out for a walk the other day, and I was like, I think I might listen to some modern metal, right? And I started listening to Avenge Sevenfold, and I tell you what, I haven't listened for ages. I bloody love Avenge Sevenfold. I think they're mm. great. I think I used to be a bit like, ah, some of it's good and some of it's not so good. But I've sort of come around to it maybe all being good at this point. All, including the first track and the second single from their sixth studio album from 2013, Hail to the King, the song Shepherd of Fire, which I remember playing a lot when I was on Team Rock Radio back when it came out. And I didn't really like... Hell to the King, when it came out, I thought this is a bit boring, mm. quite ploddy, very, very black, like like such an obvious rip-off of the Black Album in all forms, not just that, you know, This Means War song, which is just sad but true, but like kind of all of it just felt very, you know, down to the cover, like very Black Album. And I just was like, I just sort of dismissed it. And then as the years have progressed, occasionally I was like, oh, I might go back and listen to a bit of that. I might, or it just comes on. And Shepherd of Fire just came on. And I found myself going, I can't, I don't remember this being such a brilliant, fucking catchy, fist in the air, fist pumping banger. I loved it. I I played it like four times on the trot as I was walking around the, the mean streets of Overton, Hampshire <laughs> on a Saturday morning. I think it's a great song. It's a fucking great song. Just the way like, it, it, it's very dramatic that way the sort of fire crackles in, you just get, and then I, th- I think it's a really great performance by M Shadows uh, on vocals as well. I, I, I'm really won over a bit by Hell to the King in general, but particularly this is a, I think it's a great song. Uh, it's totally fair, man. I mean, your sort of reaction to Hail to the King when it came out, I feel like, was the the kind of general reaction at the time i think a lot of people were a bit nonplussed by it it felt like a very a very clear step into that <laughs> seriously overtly metallica influence that they've always had you know i mean avenged have never shied away from their influence of uh, from metallica at all um when hail to the king came out i was more aware of avenged than i had been prior we were talking the other day uh when you said this was going to be the song you bring it in 
Um, the only time I've seen them was at Download 2011, uh, subbing System of a Down, who I maintain were really good that night, but then I was 16 and I'd never seen them, so I had nothing to compare it to. And everyone else says it's a historically bad performance, but whatever. Yeah. And I stood that. well, fair enough. I mean, you're wrong because I had a great time during war. So, uh. um, but I stood there. Yeah, so did I when they played it in 1998. Yeah. You rat. Yeah, but I'm not nearing retirement like you, you prick. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, got you oh. there. Got you there. Anyway. No, you haven't actually, because uh, I've seen System of a Down be much better than you, so you you, you haven't got me at all. That's fine. Yeah, no, you yeah. do win in in every sense. But anyway, I stood there with my arms folded, which I am doing right now. I didn't even mean to do that. That's just kind of uh, a natural happenstance. But I stood there and was going, "Oh, what's this rubbish? They're rubbish because they're new. I don't like them," which was very much my mindset in 2011 before I think I started giving the wider sort of scope of music a bit more of a chance. Then Hail to the King came around, and I thought, yeah, not for me, ploddy, boring, rubbish. Um, and it wasn't until the stage came out that I ended up revisiting a bit of Avengers, and I'm still at the point where there are some bits I like more than others. Shepherd of Fire, I think, is a really cool song. It's, as you say, very dramatic. It's proper sort of evil pantomime metal. Those riffs in that kind of diminished, harking back to Sabbath way, I think it's really cool. I do find the production um, surprisingly weedy for a song like this i mean i remember this being a really bombastic you know smash you in the face album but then i guess that was nine years ago so production techniques come on a bit um i think m shadow's performance on it is really really good i've always had a bit of a problem with his kind of hard rock kind of appeal that gravelly whiskey soaked cigarette sort of thing it's never really done much for me but i could never say that he's not a good performer um he does you know bring out some great melodies on this song on the title track of hail to the king as well um yeah i think it's they're a band i want to go and spend a bit more time with off the back of this this is good would i call it a banger though i'm surprised you say banger like i mean when you brought in some of the other things you brought in over the over the last few weeks you know it's not sylvester Jamelia. is it yeah it's not, it's not Sylvester. No. no 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 but that's a different sort of thing i mean that is a get up and dance mm. song this is a hold your beer wide leg stance Doing in a, a claw. field, yeah. claw up in the air, glugging on a on an incredibly overpriced Tuborg uh, <laughs> in a muddy field. Where could I be? Where could I? What what festival could I possibly be at? Where I'd be stood in a muddy field in some shit uh, with an overpriced Tuborg, listening to Avenged Sevenfold. It's in not a, slam dunk. It's not a slam dunk. It's, it's not, not damnation. Cause, well, because that's not, indoors as well. So it's not cream fields. Let me tell you that. Um, uh, this isn't a tease for the fact that Avengers Sevenfold headline download next year. By the way, they're just saying that they only probably would play. Well, yeah, download. download I mean, they're that big, really, aren't they? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just a different sort of thing. I mean, I, I, I think because it is quite the plod and the stomp, it's quite a you know, it's it's quite a simple song. Mm. I think we'll talk we'll talk quite a lot about simple songs this week. I think so. And the success and failure of. You know, like a song doesn't need to be really brilliantly technical. And like Avenge have got, you know, someone like Sinister Gates on lead guitar who can do all these really crazy like flourishes and stuff. And I think there is so much Avenge where that is the the thing. Whereas this album wasn't really that, but it still feels like it's a different sort of flavour. It's quite simple. But I just think, don't you know I am your king? Shabbat Bad in a week, and you know what's Yeah, that is a that's a great hook. It's hard to deny, um, and that 
Let's take a moment to dead the ice. Like that. It just sort of feels quite good. I just think it feels good. And it is... Um, it's hard to do a song like this good, I think. Mm. That's why no one else has really done the Black Album. Because this is quite a boring thing to try and do. Like, there are so many bands that try and do this. And most of them... I'm not gonna say they're rubbish, but they're quite boring. Even when mm. they do, even when they're decent songwriters, they can be quite boring. And I think what I've, I've, I find myself not finding Shepherd of Fire boring. And in fact, actually, it's really got into my head now. And even though, like you know, when you said, like, yeah, is it a banger in the same way as like fucking used to be like Milk Lizard last week? Mm is a banger or, or, or even you know. hail to the king off the same album i would say that is more of an obvious shout for a banger for me yeah see i don't like the title track as much as oh, really? i like shepherd of fire i think shepherd of fire is really really cool Not and i think fair. i'm looking at the track list of it now uh like, i like requiem as well, i like heretic i think there's some it's too long obviously that record uh it's definitely not my favorite avenge sevenfold record at all but I like it a lot more than I used to like it because it is, would you say it's the dud from the Avenged Back catalogue? I think it's probably at this point considered like, which is weird when it's sort of their biggest album, but I think it's Mm. sort of considered like the dud in their back catalogue. And I think this is, we're going to go into this conversation a little bit more when we talk about one of the albums we're reviewing this week. But when you saw... Went poor sugar horse. Yeah, you had your commer. You sold out. <laughs> you had your peak. Uh, yeah, you've had your commercial peak uh, when you got to number six hundred and forty on the UK indie charts for a week. Um, that feels like a really slagged off sugar horse. That I feels have... really mean. Yeah, yeah, that feels really mean. <laughs> I love sugar horse. It's not sugar horse. Every that that's spoiler. That's a great EP, by the mm. way. And everything they've ever done is great. It's just not many people buy their records. That is, I great. have. Yeah, I yeah. bought records there, so fuck you if you're thinking I'm being a cunt about it. <laughs> I've actually put my hand in my pocket and given them some money. Anyway, I'm getting off. I'm defending something which I haven't even been accused of yet. So I'm going <laughs> to move on really, really, really quickly. Um, but there are bands who make their kind of definitive artistic statement and it doesn't sell as much as the more simple sounding stuff. And mm. I think I had judged... Um, form over content a little bit with this mm. Avenged Sevenfold album and I don't think I think you know like they were obviously trying to do a thing and you've just got to sort of accept it and is it any good or not it's not the best album definitely not but then it's hard when you've made you know people love Waking the Fallen I'm not as keen on Waking the Fallen to be honest but City of Evil fucking great absolutely great you know a lot of people really like the self-titled one as well but I think particularly City of Evil and Waking the Fallen would be considered the greatest albums that they've done, mm-hmm. definitely. And it's quite hard to go, well, we've made these albums that people absolutely love and they've sold well, but not festival headliner well. So we need to make something that's going to be kind of turns into festival headliner yeah. material. This is a pretty good way of, do- if you're going to do it, that's not a bad, this is not a bad way of doing it, I don't think. No, I don't think so. And I think they did it, yeah, well, obviously well enough to end up being, mm. you know, planted at the top of festival bills wherever they play now. Um, I assume. I mean, I would have thought if they're big in the UK as an American band, they're probably big everywhere. I mean, I don't know where they tour the rest of the world, but weren't they? I think they were due to headline. Yeah, yeah. I know they're big, but yeah, I mean, so they did what they set out to do. And I think, you know, revisiting bits and bobs of this album, I think they did it well. Um, Maybe it's one that's going to be retrospectively reappraised in years to come. 
Well, I hope so. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I have done that. So what you mean by that is... Everyone should keep up you with you. Everyone yeah. will just listen to me and care what I have to say. Yeah, you know, I don't mind <laughs> how to the King, but particularly Shepherd of Fire, I think is uh, is wicked. It's a, my favourite song on the record. And I think, but yeah, it's good. Fair bloody play. Probably not as good as what you've picked, though, to be honest. Mm, I agree. Um, I have picked specifically the crossover version i picked public enemy and anthrax's bring the noise released on both 1991's attack of the killer bees by anthrax and 1991's apocalypse 91 the enemy strikes back by public enemy i'm gonna pose a question to you off the bat i personally couldn't think of any examples have you ever heard a song of two artists collaborating released on two separate releases in the same year oh god uh uh, uh, no, not off the top of my head. No, no, no. Not off the top of my head. I'm sure there must be, there must be. There but must I be. I can't, one. I can't remember. I can't think of one off the top of my head. No, no. I mean, I, I couldn't. And I did a, a bit of digging, and it was like, oh, no, I just, I couldn't come across anything. There will definitely be ones out there that I just haven't heard of, being, being a young whippersnapper as I am. But hmm. I've chosen this song because this song is definitely a banger. And every yeah. time it comes on, it's one of those ones where. A very embarrassing thing happens to me where I hear that riff, the juddering, thrashing riff that opens it, and you get flavour flavour this, yeah, boy. And Chuck D comes in, and from the moment of bass, how low can you go? Death Row, what a brother though. Once again, back is the incredible Ram Animal, the uncannable. I find it very difficult to not do the subsequent two verses because it just flows so brilliantly together. It's such a fun song as well, even with, you know, anthrax um i mean scott ian doing the latter two verses not necessarily the best but i absolutely love this version i suppose the question is is it better than the original that was on it takes a nation of millions it's not but i think in isolation i would always pick this version over the nation of millions one i think that works better in the context of the album okay uh yeah i mean i was actually going to ask you if you think it was better than the because i do think um it takes a nation of millions is it's like a 10 out of 10 yeah perfect record absolutely and i think coming in and taking one of the songs from it i've always felt like because this is obviously a hugely iconic song mm. i've always felt that it was a shame that anthrax decided to do a cover of a pre-existing song particularly a pre-existing song that was already fucking incredible do you yeah. know what i mean i yeah. do think that the fact that they managed to get if they just done a straight cover, because, you know, like it's, if you look at the single cover of it, it says Anthrax, Bring the Noise, featuring Chuck D from Public Enemy, mm. which is weird, isn't it? Because it's more than just Chuck D. Like you said, Flavor Flav's on it as well. You would think that, do you know what I mean? You would think that that would be a, a chance for them to do an original song together. You would have thought so. If they so. can get, yeah. Uh, and I'm always a little bit like, uh, it sort of feels a little bit like it's um, something of a missed opportunity that they didn't do an original song together, those two. Because it's such a kind of landmark thing in, you know, rap rock crossover. Mm. As is, well, funny enough, as is Walk This Way with Run DMC and yep. Aerosmith. And weirdly, I don't feel the same about that. I do think that's probably fine because it was Run DMC's idea to to cover Walk This Way in the first place. Walk This Way had been out for, what, oh, fuck me, how long? Like, at least a decade. Mm. Toys in the Attic was, what, 73, I want to say? And Walk This Way was 
oh, with Run DMC was oh god 86 85 86 sort of around that time anyway yeah. so it's about it's at least a decade so at least there was a decade between it Public Enemy are only you know it's not long since that album's been out and then they've gone oh, I'll cover it straight away mm. I don't know but that's I think that's by the by basically isn't it that's by the by that's not the point point is this is great I mean this is one of those ones where if you think just putting some guitars over the top of something makes it better then this is manna from heaven for you really isn't yeah, it? yeah yeah because yeah. essentially it's just like it's like say Scotty and it's not as good a rapper as Chuck, <laughs> Chuck D I don't think that's a particularly controversial thing to say mm. and um and the riff is the riff is cool and the riff makes it sound cool and it makes it sound heavy. And it, it and gives it, it, I think, a different sort of pace to it. I feel like Chuck D comes across faster on this song as a result of it. Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah well, you put a thrash band in there and, he, you know, you've you got to kind of, you're going to have to up the pace a little bit. I mean, I think the thing is, the impact of this particular version, I feel slightly, has somewhat dulled a little bit over the years because we're so used to the rap and metal crossover. Mm. But I remember hearing it back in the day. I mean, I don't know if they did it on Top of Pops or if they showed it on the chart show or something but i do remember hit sort of hearing it and thinking this is this is mad what are these two doing together like who are these guys why are they doing this together that's that's absolutely mad um and it's a fucking great tune like it's an absolutely wicked tune uh i do think the public enemy version is better i think the public enemy version is better but in isolation i would go for this version because i think the other one works so well in the context of the record if i was yeah. just going to listen to bring the noise it's going to be this version for me i do think um it's quite interesting that uh, going back to your point about it's a shame they didn't do original material together i absolutely agree and especially seeing as they toured they did like a co-headlining tour together um and well chuck chuck d from public enemy specifically says that he felt they they public enemy as a band learned a lot from anthrax's performance in terms of bringing a bit more intensity and they found that they were struggling to keep up and win over those audiences so they hired a dedicated lighting technician for that tour apparently according to chuck d that was something of a revolutionary move in hip-hop to that point you know that on stage light shows were not really part of the course in his words anyway i can't actually speak to that what year would this have been well it would have been 91 91. 92 don't know if that's i don't know if it's true but it's interesting that anthrax had this effect on public enemy to the point where maybe even chuck d is forgetting what actually happened before this tour well the only reason i say that is because i've seen footage of that notorious nwa gig Mm. a tour that got fucking they got arrested and there was riots and all that shit and they've got a massive stage set up and that must have been like 89 yeah 88, well, it, 89 it would have been prior and you to think this, so, definitely and beastie you know the beastie boys had were, were touring like coming over here with a full-blown stage set up and you know dancing girls and inflatable penises and stuff so i think the idea that there was no stage sort of no heed taken on you know production mm. in that world i think is maybe a slight misremembering mm. on Chuck D's part. I think I'm he might have been going to say yeah. it might might have been true for Public Enemy, but I don't think it was strictly true for the, the genre, genre as a whole. No, fair. Um, one last point: you talking about it being an iconic bit of sort of rap rock crossover, and even just as a kind of a metal song because of Anthrax's involvement. I found the 2006 VH1 list of the top 40 metal songs of all time. I thought this would be good for a laugh. Um, yeah. 
This song placed at number 12. Do you want to know just a handful of the songs it was ranked better than by VH1? Oh, big, big time. So in ascending order, it's uh, better than Breaking the Law. Yes, it is. It's better than Wait and Bleed. Uh, yes, it is. Ooh, okay. Uh, it's better than Paranoid. Uh, yeah, it is. It's better than Epic. Mm. It's not. I don't know. It's not. No, I don't know about that. I, don't know. Uh, I think this one is quite easy for you. Uh, better than Run to the Hills. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, it definitely is. <laughs> Here we go. Is it better than Refuse Resist? No. No. Uh, is it better than Free Colour Leash? The answer is no. <laughs> no, I don't think it's better than Freak on the Leash. No, no, I don't. Is it, with the caveat that just take this song, try and extrapolate how overplayed it is from how good it is, is it better than Ant- Enter Sandman? No. Well, VH1 no, thinks so. Really? I'm yeah, very, yeah. very surprised. They also Enter think Sandman, look, I never need to hear Enter Sandman again as long as I fucking live, but it's a you cannot deny... Belter. Enter Sandman is an incredible song. A totally brilliant, totally, totally, totally brilliant song. Well, apparently not better than this version to bring the noise. Neither is Man in the Box, Walk, Bulls on Parade, or Toxicity. That's bollocks. It's Absolute than... bollocks, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just thought that'd so, be good for a laugh, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, I don't agree with a lot of that. But it's a very important song. I'm no, oh, yeah, no yeah. shade on, uh, on the song. And uh, yeah, it's wicked. Like, it is wicked. It is wicked. And even Joey Belladonna jumping around like a loon in the video can't ruin it. Silly Joey Belladonna. Silly boy. Silly little man. Uh, anyway, there you go. We'll do that next week. Pick some uh, song next week. Isn't it? I'm glad you've been listening to that. Yeah, good, good it's a great you. song. It's almost good. always in my head. Those first two verses of Chuck yeah, D. Like, yeah, honestly, I can just reel them off. Yeah, man. Mm. Uh, you went to see... So I went to see Architects. We'll talk about Architects live um, when we review the album in a little bit. But... We didn't get a chance to do this last week, so let's do it now. Sam, you went to see the big triple emo... Emo? Well, yeah, emo, prog, post-hardcore. It's all a bit of everything. Yeah. Thing. Coed and Cambria, Thrice and Touche and more. Together at last. <laughs> Actually, together at last. Uh, that is a great fucking bill. What was it like? It was fucking excellent. Uh, that's the kind of the overview. It was a brilliant night. So um, we got to Rock City literally seconds after we got into the sort of main theatre so to speak. Um, Touche Moria were coming on stage. We just got in as they were starting with Come Heroin. Um, and they absolutely blasted through um, a joyous set that felt like it was about 15 minutes long. They did eight tracks, uh, four of which mm. are from Lament, three from Stage 4, one from Parting the Sea Between Brightness and Me. Um, I thought the Lament stuff sounded absolutely massive. Um, and it's not an album I have spent as much time with as Stage 4. Um, which is an absolute masterpiece. Um, but to be honest, the whole thing just worked together so well. There was no obvious dip in quality across their set. Um, Jeremy Bohm, despite delivering these, you know, really heartfelt lyrics, particularly on Flowers for Flowers and You um, as the set closer, the fact that he was just beaming and elated by what was admittedly quite a small crowd, but the people who had got there in time for Touche knew basically every word and was shouting them back at him. He had a great time. I did think it was notable that Touche were the one band of the night where the front man absolutely stole the show and I felt the rest of the band were a little bit in the background, but I'm not going to judge them too harshly on what was a 15 to 20 minute set because it was brilliant. Anyway, they sounded awesome. Um, even with, you know, the sort of sound job that in bigger venues, uh, you know, opening bands tend to suffer, but they sounded great and they performed brilliantly. They were full of energy. 
it was a touche more set basically what more can i say yeah i mean on that point with jeremy i think he is such an integral part of well obviously singers are integral parts of bands for the most part anyway aren't they but like he is absolutely the thing yeah is the emotional core of that band he's the he's the member who could not depart and that band stay together yeah so that makes a lot of sense i think they as a band have always been really good at um letting jeremy's uh intention with the lyrics and the thematics of the music Mm. sort of uh breathe you know what i mean and give it a couple to kind of to, to back him up they like i wouldn't say back him up like he's a solo artist or whatever but you know i think that they understand that he is the kind of the focal core focal point of mm. them as as a group of musicians so that makes sense but uh yeah i fucking get this when i so this this rolled into london when i was in greece so i missed it so i was gutted but i would have liked to see touche gutted yeah t-shirt brilliant i mean to be honest on the way in so I took a friend of mine who i think this was something like his fifth or sixth gig ever but um he was saying oh like do we need to get there in time for the opening band i was like yes we absolutely do like tonight could be a three-way co-headliner based purely on quality not necessarily on kind of uh album sales or kind of notoriety or fame or anything like that but i mean in terms of quality absolutely brilliant um touche started off the night spectacularly um we then move on to Thrice. So between Touche and Thrice, my friend wanted to go and get some merch, so I went with him. And it was noticeable that almost every single T-shirt I saw in Rock City that night was a Coheed one. Um, Coheed were very, very much the big draw there. And I thought it was a real shame for Thrice because outside of the sort of main pit standing area, the downstairs bit of Rock City, just on the sort of elevated bit where we were standing for him, the majority of people around us were just chatting, just like really, really loudly talking about, oh, what do you have for tea? Oh, I can't wait for Coheed. Oh, what are you doing tomorrow? Shoulders is going to be brilliant, isn't it? It was like, it's quite disrespectful. And there was this one group next to us who were really pissing me off. It was during uh, where Idols once stood. And I was getting very, very frustrated. And fortunately, a bigger man in front of me turned around and had a go at them for me because he was well into it. And I thought, after that, we we filtered down into the standing area. And that was really indicative of how passionate Thrice's fan base are. And I thought it was great to see that, again, even though they represented a minority of the audience, the Thrice fan base absolutely loved what they were seeing. And it was a real... uh, I mean, it was heavy on the new album, obviously, because this is part of the tour for Horizons East. But it was quite a good spread of... um, a bit of a kind of career best of. I'm sure there are albums that people would have liked to have heard more from. Uh, they only did one from Visu, they did, uh, which was The Earth Will Shake, which they ended on. They did the title track of the artist in the ambulance. Most everything else was from Beggars Onwards, particular focus paid to Horizons East. I thought they were excellent. Um, not quite as good as Touche because I felt it did. There were points in the set where some of the more... I suppose, kind of shoegazy material got lost in the kind of ambivalence of a lot of the crowd. Uh, But the vocal melodies between Dustin and uh, Tepe were absolutely fantastic. They're really, really just these lush vocal harmonies that came together. It was um, when it wasn't in those quieter sections and when it would really ramp up in volume, really quite um, enveloping. I thought they were awesome. They weren't the most energetic performers I've ever seen. Um, and I've seen Thrice once before and I thought they were absolutely incredible, but that was because they followed Refused, who were not very good on that tour. But Thrice, um, I would definitely go and see him again. I've gone back to the new album since, and I can see why they went for a more placid delivery, because it just suits the mood of where they've gone 
as artists and they have progressed quite a lot mm. from where they where they started i feel okay i mean you know i'm not a massive fan of thrice but i wouldn't even describe myself as a fan of thrice at all to be perfectly honest i think that they're a band who some people absolutely fucking love mm. and i've heard a bunch of their stuff uh the only album of theirs that i even own or even have ever owned i think is um I nearly said whatever people say I am that's what I'm not that's a fucking <laughs> that's not them at all is it no. uh, what's the name of the, the, the comeback album the one with Black Honey on that's good oh for fuck's sake I can't remember I know the, the one the end you, uh, will be the wind of change or that's something. the one yeah, yeah yeah that one yeah that's not what it's called no but yeah so I, I yeah I, I looked at this bill and I did think to myself like I, I think Thrice are good mm. um, I've not really cared much about any of their last few records to be honest I reviewed them all previously and i remember sort of thinking yes it's quite good but it's not i've never really been that like i've never been that fussed about them as a band in general really so i don't know if you know i had no idea how big they would or wouldn't be mm. really well i did notice um so for this co-headliner it seems like coheed have headlined the uk and then thrice are headlining europe so i guess that's where right, okay. the, their fan base seems to be i mean i wouldn't say i'm a massive thrice fan i do like a fair few of their albums and yeah i thought they were excellent from a kind of technical perspective um the weakest of the night in terms of it being high energy but then they are up against touche and moray who are you know real firecracker of a band and then coheed and cambria who I was very, very excited to see. So with Coheed, I've tried uh, and unsuccessfully, or I've tried unsuccessfully to see them at two headlining shows. Uh, one was on No World for Tomorrow. It was the day me and my mate finished our GCSEs. Basically, we got to see about two songs Jesus and then had to Christ. come back. Awful. Um, I then went to see them again at Coco on uh, the Good Apollo and Burning Star 4 anniversary tour. Go on. No, I, I wish I'd, I didn't see that. And I wish I had because I saw them on the Good Apollo tour at the Shepherd's Bush Empire back in like 2004, I want to say. I want to say 2004. Mm. So I should. I should say that. Yeah. Um, maybe it was after that. Maybe it was like 2005, actually. But anyway, I saw them in at Shepherd's Bush uh, and uh, when they were on that album. And yeah, that was really fucking good. Really nice. Good. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I didn't see much of that Coco show either because it seems like fate always conspires against me to stop me watching Coheed. And then I'd not really paid loads of attention to them after that. I was a bit put out by that experience. And Vaxis One came out and ugh, it's probably my least favourite Coheed album, to be honest. So when they opened with Prologue Into the Dark Center, I was a bit like, well, it makes sense as an opener. I think that's the strongest part of the album. I hope they get it over with soon. And then... We get, uh, well, they did The Embers of Fire, which is something of an intro from the new album from Vaxxas 2. We then get a run of Beautiful Losers, Shoulders, A Disappearing Act, In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3, The Liars Club, A Favour House Atlantic, and Welcome Home. That I mean, oh. that is that is most of the set, and you best believe I was screaming my little lungs up. I mean, when they were doing In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3, which, when they did it at Art Tangent in 2019, that was the moment I was like, oh, fuck, I forgot how much I loved Coheed. And so when I yeah. I knew that it would come up in the set list, and when you get to that, man, you're old, jackhammer! Oh, just, oh it's so good. And Favour House Atlantic, good eye sniper, I shoot you run. Oh, I didn't know I was going to be able to do that, but fucking brilliant. I had the best time, and I'd like to. You're being very, very 
generous to yourself to well i didn't think i could get even that high is oh, what right, i'm saying i'm not saying i could yeah. sound like claudio <laughs> i'm not that fucking arrogant although i am an elitist aren't we all so <laughs> i meant to ask you only get... the ones who are worthy of being elitist are elitist <laughs> i think anyway god sorry uh, that's all right don't worry um yeah it was absolutely spectacular after welcome home they did window of the waking mind which when they started, I was thinking, this is going to be a bit of a come down from that run that you've just done. But as we discussed when we reviewed the album, it's such a bonkers kitchen sink approach, like everything at the wall. It was just so joyous to see. Just absolutely fucking brilliant. And then they came and encored with the running free off No World for Tomorrow, which was lovely. Oh, I love that. Lovely yeah. stuff. I mean, Coheed absolutely stole the night hands down. I thought they were fucking brilliant. They were really on it and they looked like they were having so much fun. And, well, the, the one bit that really surprised me was in um, a disappearing act, Claudio, uh, leaving the front of the stage to go and play the synthesizer at the back, because that is the Coheed Gone the Club one. Um, but yeah, really, really cool. Oh, oh I should say, any... should say, of course, guitar solo over the back of your head during Welcome Home. Got to be done. Lovely stuff. Lovely stuff. Did they, did they play anything from um, uh, The Colour Before the Sun? No. They didn't play a lot from Dickens. quite a few of their albums, and it did leave me thinking. I mean, it's a co-headlining tour, so they had maybe a hundred maybe 100 minutes maybe 110 i think um and it left me thinking even if they're doing a full headliner where they did two hours still wouldn't be enough i think coheder a band i'd really like to see do an evening with tour because i'd want to see stuff from second stage turbide blade i mean i want to see something from every one of their albums um maybe not vaxis one basically the two songs they opened with i could probably do without and then i want something from everything else Year of the Black Rainbow. The Broken and Here We Are Juggernaut are good songs. Those are the only two I'd want from that album. Everything else can go away. But those two, I would love to see live. They're a good band, Code and Cambria. A fucking good band. Really good. I always sort of forget about them. And then an album comes out or I see them live or they mm. do something. And I'm like, or it comes on shuffle or whatever. And I go, oh, they're fucking great. Yeah. They're fucking great. Yeah, I was gutted to miss that. Really gutted. Well, so I got back. I think there's stuff happening this week that I don't want to go to, that I could have gone to. But I miss Curry, that's pretty good. Because that that's a good tour, that. It was, I yeah, it was a fucking good night. Um, Curry had absolutely stole it, but the other two bands did do brilliantly as well. Particularly Touche Amore. I'd like to go and see them. Do a headline set somewhere again soon. Because the only time I've seen them prior to that was co-headlining with Death Heaven, which was amazing as well. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, like I say, I saw Architects, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, we should start with a little bit of a news roundup. We all knew it was going to happen, Sam. Firefest with eyeliner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I don't think that's true. When We Were Young Festival had to cancel its first day mm. due to wind. Yes. Right? Now, it sounds like a joke. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound like you can put your own punch on in here. I know there are loads of people who are like going, I can't believe they put this lineup together. It can't be real. What's going on? The um, it must be like some bullshit. And then, you know, Matt Skiba before the festival came out from Alkaline Trio, formerly of Blink-182, um, but mainly from Alkaline Trio. Yeah, yeah. He came out and said, none of us were asked. We were just put on the poster and we all just sort of did it. A bit like Live Aid. But so people were d deeply cynical that this festival could go ahead and on one day you could see all of these bands. Um, and at 10 a.m., an hour before the doors were going to open on the first day of this festival, 
when we were young put a statement out saying when we were young festival organizers have spent the last several days proactively preparing the festival grounds for a windy saturday the national weather service has now upgraded their saturday forecast to high wind warning including a dangerous 30 to 40 mile per hour sustained winds with potential 60 mile an hour gusts under advisement of the national weather service and las vegas metropolitan police department we have no other choice than to cancel today's when we were young festival the safety of our fans, artists and staff will always be our top priority. This was not a decision that came lightly. We know many of you travel to the area and have a spe- and have a spectacular day. What? <laughs> to have a spectacular day. Sorry, that's my fault. It's to right. have a spectacular day with your favourite bands. And I've been looking forward to this day for months. We were equally as excited and are devastated to share this news. Ticket holders who purchased their tickets directly through the festival's ticketing company, Frontgate Tickets, for Saturday, October 22nd, when we were young festival, will receive a refund in as little as 30 days to the original form of payment. According to the National Weather Service, Sunday's weather looks sunny without any wind advisories. When we were young's additional dates, including Sunday, October 23rd, which did go ahead, and Saturday, October 29th, which, as of recording, is a couple of days away, are moving forward accordingly. So they did do it on the Sunday the next day they mm. did do it but the first day is not a good look it's unfortunate though and i think you know i did see i didn't pay loads of attention to this because i haven't really paid loads of attention to when we were young as a festival because it's a long way to go to see thursday <laughs> yes do you know what i mean yeah um so i'm not really bothered by the majority of the stuff that was happening at the festival and that's not i mean obviously there are a bunch of bands there that i like I like Paramours. Would have been good to see Jimmy Eat World were playing. I think. I think Glassjaw were there as well. Like, yeah, Glassjaw were. Yeah. You know, so you know, there's a bunch of stuff there that I think is quite decent. But you know, I, I don't want to go and see the All American Rejects and bloody Bayside and Hawthorne Heights and shit like. You know what I mean? Mm. No, not interested. Um, and it's in Vegas, so obviously there was never any point that I was going to go. And I just was like, oh, it's a, a festival for those guys. Um, but I do think the the idea that this is a scam or that you start getting called a scam mm. on the advice of the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department and the National Weather Service, they haven't made that up, have they? No. They didn't conjure they, the they weather. They didn't do... You can't... You know, look, I was at uh, Bloodstock in 2019 when... Was it 2019 when Parkway Drive yeah played and everything got stopped and moved back because the weather was because it was really really fucking windy and i remember watching i think it was the wild hearts and the fucking speaker system above them was swaying like the big pa the side of stage was swaying jesus like a fucking like, like the pirate ship at Alton Towers, right? It was going back and forth, and I was like, that looks well dodgy. I, I was also at the Ozfest when uh, System of a Down cut their set short because the weather blew the lighting rig down and it landed like about fucking five inches away from John Dolmayan's head and his drum kit while he was playing, and they just went, fuck that, we're off, yeah. we're stopping, right? So, this is not a joke, this. This is not a like a thing to be taken lightly i know you might go oh wind oh it's a bloody ripoff but uh, it's a scam we've all been scammed but i mean i don't see the scam here you're getting offered a refund it's not like firefest where they went oh you're gonna get a speedboat and a gold mansion and you're gonna get like 
Gordon Ramsay coming in and Marco Pierre White to cook you food in your luxurious super tent. And then you get there and it's just like... A cheese a, sandwich. A, yeah, a fucking Hessian sack on some sand <laughs> and a fucking floppy cheese sandwich. And yeah. then you're like, oh, you're here. Sorry, guys, you're here. <laughs> you know, it's happening. Like, that's not what this is. So I don't really understand why people have gone, oh, it's a scam. Like, th- this is the right thing to do, surely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I don't understand that mentality at all. I think it's probably just people still thinking, oh, you know, it's too good to be true. And I think when the first day cancelled, they assumed that all the subsequent days would have this knock-on effect and that actually it hadn't been booked in the first place. But, you know, if it's just that one day in isolation, very, uh, I mean, I'd be gutted, you know, if I'd gone all that way because you get your ticket refunded, but you won't necessarily get the cost of flights and accommodation and all that. But... Unfortunately, that is the risk you have to take. You know, I lost £140 on a hotel a couple of months ago because Godflesh had to cancel. So I feel your pain, emos of the world. Yeah, I mean, look, it sucks. If you've gone all the way to Las Vegas, which, I mean, would be fucking horrible anyway. Like, who wants to go yeah. to fucking Las Vegas? Oh. Uh, Five-finger oh, death oh, punch probably do. Well, that's where they're from. Yeah, so exactly. They want to go home. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We're going to see Five-finger death punches Nan. <laughs> Mrs. Moody. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Old Auntie Death Punch. <laughs> I think she actually likes to be called. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but you know, like it's shit. It's really, really shit. And um, but the moaning and groaning, I think it's just really, really unfortunate. I can understand it because look, you would, you'd be fucking furious. You'd be, mm. but, but but at who? You know, old man shouts at cloud. This is young people shouting at cloud now. Yeah, yeah, you all yeah. turn into what you hate, don't you? You're you're literally shouting at clouds, you lot. You're you fucking emo fans. <laughs> you're laughing you're at weather. You, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, a bunch of bands did actually kind of get together and play um, shows in and around the, the venues that are available. Mm. Bring Me the Horizon played a last minute show at the Pearl Theatre with Knock Loose and Landon Barker. Don't know who Landon Barker is, but Bring Me Horizon and Knock Loose. That would have been decent. Yeah. Um, they, I don't know how big the Pearl Theatre is, but it does say an intimate show, so I imagine it's you know only a couple of hundred, like a few hundred thousand or so, whatever. Um, uh, that would have been good. Although they got shit as well, yeah. because some bands did it for free, and they went, oh, you've got to buy tickets. Uh, but I mean, like, presum- how- presumably they have a massive touring crew for their production and stuff like that, let alone lighting and engineering. But uh. I don't think you don't think you can have a go at a band for asking you to pay to see them. Scum. When you haven't Absolute bought, when scum. you haven't bought their record. You definitely haven't bought their record. <laughs> uh, so yeah, what a, just a weird thing to do. Um, but yeah, it's all going ahead. Like the rest of it's going ahead. It's done. They did do it on the the Sunday, the next day. It happened. Mm. And again, like Paramore played, and Paramore played a song which I'm not familiar with, but they opened with a song that apparently they'd never played before, and people lost their shit, like completely lost their shit. I saw people going absolutely mad for it. Um, so you know, it's it's not a scam. It's definitely, definitely not a scam. It is a legitimate festival. I did sort of look at the lineup, and I and people go, "No, this lineup can't be real," and I was like, "Can it not be real?" Mm. I, mean, I know it's a lot a of fans few... that you like, but yeah. it's not a ridiculous like. Like, look at the Glastonbury lineup. I look at that and I go, "How is that real?" Look at the Hellfest lineup from last year. Oh man! If they're yeah. real, how the fucking this could be? I can't believe Paramore and Avril Lavigne <laughs> are playing together. Really? Why not? 
Like, that's easy enough to believe, isn't it, surely? It makes complete sense to me. I mean, yeah, if we're talking about unbelievable lineups, like Damnation this year, which I can't fucking go to, but got Converge doing Jane Doe, Godflesh doing Street Cleaner, Pig Destroyer doing Prowler in the Yard and at the gates doing Slaughter of the Soul. Mm. It's like, that's unbelievable. That's hard to get together. Not My Chemical Romance and Paramore, two bands who are kind of on a revival kick looking to tour and looking to kind of make money off former glories. But I know I Paramore believe- have got a new thing coming out. All right, but yeah. Yeah, I can't believe Horror Pops... Kitty and Dance Gavin Dance all man <laughs> can get those three in the same room the, with each other that's the logistics that must have gone behind that honestly yeah it's like, what, a Treyu and Silverstein I never thought I'd see the day <laughs> like it's it's not actually it's not actually that impressive to be honest guys but you know fine but it's a, I mean it's a stacked lineup. you know like you look at, I'm looking at that mini stage now Mike Chemical Romance Bring Me the Horizon Death Cab for Cutie Take Him Back Sunday AFI Pierceville wow JKDN, don't know who that is. Mayday Parade, Sayosin. I mean, you know, you can kind of cut yourself off at AFI, really. But, I mean, that is, you know, that is AFI talking about Sunday, Death Cab, Bring Me Horizon, My Chemical Romance. But you're looking at it and like, Bring Me Horizon got a 45 minute set. It's mad, isn't it? I said, that is the thing about this. Is, you know, you're looking at it and you're like, well, they don't get long to play. Yeah, well, I mean, didn't My Chem get like, there was one artist who I saw who was meant to start at like two minutes past nine and finish at like 9.43 or something like that. There were some weird set times, but my cam didn't get a super long one, did they? Like maybe 90 minutes? One hour 15 by the looks of things. One hour 15? Bloody hell. Yeah. It's pretty mad, that. And it looks like uh, Paramore got an hour when they headlined mm. the other stage. Um, yeah, like Thursday got half an hour. Alkaline Cheer got half an hour. Uh, what, what were the bands I at the got forty minutes? What were the bands at the bottom of the day getting? I get them, uh, they Three minutes. Like they're getting the, the band uh, JKDN <laughs> looks like they got fifteen minutes. Ooh, I'd be alright if they're grindcore, but I doubt they, they could are. play. <laughs> yeah, they could play every song of theirs. I know a <laughs> hundred times in that time. To be fair, and yeah. still have fifteen minutes left because I don't know any of their songs. Um, but yeah, but you know, look, it's happening and it's happened. So uh, that's good, I guess. That is good, I suppose. Um, here's some good news, Sam, as well for for you if you like if you like the law being upheld. Oh, cop! Oh, bloody love it. You cop. <laughs> um, Adrian Kwatalowski. Apologies, I said. You, actually, no, not apologies. You're in prison. A hacker from Ipswich in England oh. has stolen two unreleased Ed Sheeran songs. Ipswich, Daniel O'Reilly in it. That idiot is what's Ipswich. Oh yeah, yeah. That guy, yeah. Cuss out Ipswich fans <laughs> all the time. But that's this is the most famous son people in Ipswich. Um well, him, him and know, Danny Filth. Him, Danny I think he is he from Ipswich, Danny Filth? I, I think he's so. from Norwich, wasn't it? No. No, no how dare you? As someone who grew up in, in North Norfolk, I'll thank you to keep Suffolk away from my heritage. Okay, sorry. Sorry about that. <laughs> um yeah, it's okay. Danny Filth and the, whoever killed those prostitutes. Uh, Ed Sheeran Danny songs. Filth well. Oh, no. Was, <laughs> Allegedly. No, it, wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't Danny Filth. It was Danny O'Reilly, the Ipswich supporter on Twitter, who I don't like. Um, <laughs> two unreleased Ed Sheeran songs for Crypto. He's been sentenced to 18 months in prison. He's a hacker. And um, he's also song, uh, nicked 12 other songs um, from... He nicked something from Little Uzi Vert. And he, <laughs> he sold... On two unreleased Ed Sheeran songs on the dark web mm. for $148,000 of cryptocurrency. 
you're going to have to explain all of this to me, Sam. Because I don't know what it means. I well, know the guy Ed, is in prison. Ed Sheeran what... is a musician who plays yeah, okay. guitar and people really like his quite sort of bland, inoffensive music. Yeah. Shall I go but on? What, what is, what does any of this... So he's gone to prison, right? Yeah. So anyway, he's got, he's hacked into cloud-based accounts by right. various musical artists. Although that has not been specified. Um, but apparently he's, he found 1,000... 263 unreleased songs or they they found that he had that in his possession mm. um in an investigation that dates back to 2019 and he's basically sold uh his ed sheeran songs for a load of money yeah but then i say a load of money it's bitcoin this is this is where I, all right this is where i'm out of my depth right i don't so did he sell them? Did he, did he cryptocurrency one hundred forty eight dollar thousand dollars? What is that? Does he get the money or not? Uh, to be honest, mate, I've got a very tenuous understanding of what cryptocurrency is. I know it's basically for kind of like nerds who really like Elon Musk. It's a way of. Right. It's supposed to be a kind of universal currency that um you know kind of can't. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. It's just a stupid thing that you use a lot of computers to mine and then you have money, but then you don't if that money isn't worth anything anymore. It's kind of digital microeconomy. I, I, I interviewed uh, M. Shadows at the start of the year and he was talking oh, about... Oh, yeah, about the, his cartoon uh, bats. Yeah. <laughs> I was like... And I was going, so what is it? Because I had to like, write this up for Metal Hammer. I was going, what is it? And he was going, well, you know, like the, you know, the web 2.0 is come, And I was going... No, I actually don't. (laughs) Mate, I I don't understand it at all. I've got, I know people who are into their kind of cryptocurrency and I know some people who've got into NFTs and stuff like that. And I say to them, what is it? And they go, well, look, it's very simple. When you get to the blockchain, it's like, no, no, no. You've got to explain that. That doesn't make any sense to me. What is this blockchain? Is that like a wallet chain, but for real fucking nerds? I don't know. I don't even use the train line app. I buy a paper ticket when I go on, go on the train. All right, grand. Like, I have gone... <laughs> I know, right? I have gone on to analyticsinsight.net to read this story because I was like, oh, that's interesting. Someone's been put in prison for thieving off Ed Sheeran. I get that bit. That, you know, he's he's gone in, he's, he's hacked into Ed Sheeran's cloud account. Mm. He's taken some songs and he's flogged them. And now he's in prison. That's the story. Yeah. But the what I don't understand about it is that oh, he sold it. It's one hundred eighty-four thousand dollars of cryptocurrency on the dark web, mm. and that's when I went, oh shit! I really should have read, <laughs> read the rest this. of this story. I should have read up. Well, no, because that's all it says. This is this website is talking to me like I know what this stuff is, mm. and I don't. And I just thought, well, fuck it, Sam will know, and even you don't know. No, of course I don't. Well, I thought everyone knew, and I just was like happy to live in my ignorant little. Hampshire village yokel bubble. Do you know what I mean? I, I live a life of ignorance every day. It's bliss. <laughs> Knowledge is hassle. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It really is. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry so to you, not be You able wear to... that daughter's t-shirt with pride, you ignorant <laughs> fuck. Thank you. I will do. <laughs> I'm sorry not to be able to shed a light on the kind of virtual, eco- uh, virtual I, yeah. kind of banking system, economy, whatever it is. Tweet Elon Musk, he'll tell you. But he's gone to prison. It's like, okay, so this is why I want to bring this up, right? This guy's gone to prison. And I've looked at some of the the the, the sort of um, responses to it. Mm. And everyone's gone, good. Good, you shouldn't steal artists' stuff that they haven't released. And I can't help but feel 
for poor Lars Ulrich when I think mm, of this. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who still gets shit for doing exactly the same thing? He's done that. This guy's in prison. Mm. Lars Ulrich just went, give me my stuff back, right? My unreleased demo that I don't want people to hear. Oh, you stole it. And somebody played it on the radio and said, this is the new Metallica single. And people said, oh, isn't Lars Ulrich a wanker for what he did to Napster? And it's like, no, he's not. No, he's not. If this guy's deservedly in jail, because it was unreleased songs that you you don't have the right to hear, mm. why the fuck is people going to give Lars Ulrich shit? <laughs> I've got to buy Master of Puppets, have I? <laughs> well, I mean, one, yeah, you should do, really. Yeah. And two, that isn't what he was annoyed about, you fucking wankers. He was annoyed about a fucking unreleased demo that was stolen from the studio. It was I Disappear, wasn't it? It was yeah. an unfinished yeah, 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 yeah. version of I Disappear, which got played on the radio and then introduced as the new Metallica song. Imagine uh, that. Imagine if like, I nicked your... Imagine if you were working on something like... That you were really, you were, you what you were really proud of. Imagine you're like a fucking, I don't know. You're writing a book, right? Mm. You're sitting, you write, you get halfway through, and you haven't checked it, and I just nick it, and I give it to your publisher and go publish that. And if you turn around, and went, oh, hold on, I wasn't that oh, rubbish book. Well, I hadn't finished it yet. Oh wow, wow, oh, I have to finish my book. Pathetic. Like, of course, you, of course, you'd be pissed off. Yeah, it's the same. It's like getting fucking like. Just halfway through a Marvel film, they just cut to some storyboards because someone's leaked it, and you go, and then they go, "Well, that, the film wasn't meant to look like that." Oh wow, wow, we got paid for that, haven't we? <laughs> my like, vision, yeah, yes. my creative yeah. vision. Oh yeah, uh, people dying. You know, it's like fucking shut up. So I, I looked at this and I was like, more evidence that Lars Ulrich was right to do what he did. Lars was right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pains me to say it, but yes, Lars was right. He was so. um you know, off to off to the slammer for old Adrian Quatters Kwiatkowski. Kwiatkowski, I think is how you say it. Okay, he's in he's in prison, and he shouldn't steal from Ed Sheeran. That you is, wouldn't you uh, wouldn't download a car. <laughs> Do you know what? Oh my God! Funnily enough, I saw that advert the other day because me and my mate decided we wanted to watch. No, don't judge us on this. Superman 3, we thought we'd watch. Okay. Or Richard Pryor 1, mm -hmm. as I like to call it. And you ever seen Superman 3? No. Nope. It's very tonally different from the other two that came before it. And not in a good way, Yeah, I would say. I, I prefer Superman 4. I just skip over 3. Go for the quest for peace. Have you that, seen that? No, I haven't. That's not true. I, I've only seen... I have seen the second of those original Superman films. You haven't seen the first one, but you've seen the second one. Well, yeah, because I live in the 21st century where everyone knows Superman's origin story, so there's no point in fucking watching it. Well, you meant to... Yeah, but that... But they're two together. It's part Tell one. me about Superman 3. Throw. It's just not very good. Okay. Well it's done, not very, it's, just a very, very <laughs> <laughs> it's just not very good. I mean, it's very, very bad, in fact. It's yeah. very, very bad. But anyway, uh, it's like a comedy film. And mm -hmm. They just let Richard Pryor kind of sort of improvise loads of stupid guff at, in the middle of it, and it just doesn't work. Uh, anyway, but we were like, oh, we should watch that. And then we turned it off halfway through. Larry Lamb's in it, by the way, if you're interested. Fact fans. Larry <laughs> Lamb, who's uh, the dad in Gavin and Stacey. Of course, yes, yes. Yeah, he's in it. Um and uh yeah they had that uh you wouldn't download a car i hadn't seen it for years you wouldn't download a car 
Mm. You wouldn't steal a car even. You wouldn't download you wouldn't download a car. You wouldn't steal a car, you wouldn't steal the and I was thinking mm. piracy's a crime. I was like, this is inc- incredibly aged incredibly badly. Yeah, definitely. Like Although, to yeah. be fair, you know, you wouldn't steal a car. I did see this is totally off topic, so I'll get through it quickly. Did see people have managed to download pirate versions of the software that i think um there's a new model of bmw that's got heated seats but you have to pay extra once you've got the car to get it like subscription model to get those heated seats and people have managed to get pirated software to put in their car to do that so so sometimes piracy's fair do you reckon Vince Neil saw that advert? You wouldn't steal a car, and he thought, "No, you're right. I wouldn't steal a car, but I would get drunk and get in a car with my friend and drive and, and crash and kill him, and then just sort of run off." Yeah, I think that's exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, anyway, let's let's move on. Uh, Bono wants you two to record a fuck off rock and roll album inspired by ACDC. Bono did an interview with the New York Times, and he did he said a lot of things, and he's doing his um, he's promoting his book surrender 40 songs one story mm. and he's doing a kind of spoken word tour as well um <coughs> which I'm, I'm gonna try and get tickets to next week i think is it next week or in a couple of weeks time mm. I, i'm gonna try and get tickets to that i hope i can go i'll review it if you want you don't <laughs> want me to review. i know you listening to going i actually would rather you didn't but uh he says i want to write the most unforgiving obnoxious defiant fuck off to the pop charts rock and roll song that we've ever made i spoke to the edge about it last week he's going is it that call again what call the one about we're gonna make a big fuck off rock song and i say yeah it's our job we can make songs famous now but i don't think you two can make them hits i don't know who's gonna make our fuck off rock and roll album you almost want an acdc you want mutt lang the approach discipline the songwriting discipline that's what we want um this is on the back of i mean you know we're looking at now five years since the u2 album so i guess it's going to be a u2 album soon i mean if the last thing they put out that song from the sing soundtrack is anything to go by i think probably just don't record any more music lads to be Mm. honest happy for you to go into the old nostalgia whatever for the rest of time but yeah i mean i would prefer i think i would rather have you two do a rock album than like a sort of some sort of rock based album rather than what they've been doing for the past 25 20 years, years. Yeah. yeah do you have any kind of thoughts on this at all uh do you? not especially no i mean you two um I mean, to be honest, because of your sort of constant insistence that they're the best band of all time, I have ended up checking out a load of U2 this year. And, I mean, it is very evident that after Zeropa, it kind of drops off a cliff and there's not really anything after that I've paid attention to. So I don't really care. I am curious as to who they would get to produce because I don't think they should go with, like, Mutt Lang or anything. Who do you think they should go with? I'll throw my hat in the ring immediately. Not mine. Will Yip. Get him to do it. <laughs> Will Yip! Yeah. Um, Got some glitching hardcore under the edge. Kurt Ballou, innit? Oh, yeah, to be fair. God City. Kurt Ballou. I tell you what, if they got... Steve Albini. If you two got Kurt Ballou to record an album, that I would be interested in. Mm. Like, I mean, obviously, it's an insane, ridiculous, absurd thing to think would actually happen. But I'm trying to think, is there anything that would make me get genuinely excited about a new U2 album coming in 2023. And there's not really. But Kurt Ballou producing it might do. Yeah, I mean, I think if they had the right... Yeah, 
right sort of marketed studio hand behind them it would get um, some people on side. I mean, Kurt Ballou's not exactly going <laughs> to increase the record sales, is it? Apart from for people like you who are in the, the small intersection of U2 fans who love Converge. Well, look, I don't think, he, you know, I think the last thing U2 need to be worried about is increasing record sales. To I think they honest. do, actually. Or, or <laughs> yeah, they're going to have to find think... a new app to force their album onto people through. You think 30 million copies of every album they've ever made is not quite enough? And they're going, it's oh, we not... got yeah, yeah. we, we to gotta reach that trip like quadruple platinum status for our new album Mm -hmm. yeah i don't i don't i don't think they'll be bothered about that i think you know the thing about being a band that size and this would go for them or the rolling stones or you know paul mccartney whatever he puts out or uh, acdc i mean things acdc are only ever going to make an album sounds like acdc but the thing about these bands is is, i think which is quite frustrating about bands of this size is that they are free to do whatever the fuck they want to do and i think what's frustrating about bands this size is that they rarely do do that Mm. bob dylan that last bob dylan album is really good really really good i still think it sounds really good and you know it's not a massive like huge reinvention but you know there's a second song on well sorry the, the second track the second half of the album is one song and you're like well that's at least a risk from someone who does mm-hmm. not need to take a risk in any way whatsoever. And I do find it quite frustrating that bands that big will just kind of shit stuff out. And yeah, like you say, like, you know, we're getting to, we'll get to sort of, it'd be 10 years since um, Songs of Innocence came out and it went on everyone's mm. iTunes thing. And Furious. you think, right, well, yeah, and everyone was fucking meant, mental about it. And you think, well, I can, you know, yeah, I get it because it, rubbish album as we've discussed before mm-hmm. or i've discussed before but the thing is is like it's not a bad idea to try new things but i just think you're trying the wrong new thing yeah because t- who that that is a that's a gimmick it's not a it's not a new try something new musically or try, you know like yeah why, don't, why wouldn't you don't do it through some sort of delivery system do it in some sort of artistic expression i think um yeah i mean stadium bands yeah i, I completely agree there's an irony that the people who can do whatever they want are the people who do what the audience already liked i mean like metallica yeah. you know the last two metallica albums have been retreating to safe wars it's like no just do what you like and i mean maybe maybe they are doing what they like maybe what they want to do is thrash metal that they're not capable of writing anymore but who knows possibly 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 yeah. um all right there you go well we will we will keep an eye on that and you know uh, we'll see what happens with you two i'm sure i'll tell you whether you weekly want to know bono updates of, yeah whether you want to know or not um let's get to a whole load of reviews hey just want to say before we start no we're not reviewing the new red hot chili peppers album i did listen to four songs from the new red hot chili peppers album don't know if you listened to any of that at all sam i've listened to zero okay well i feel that you've made the correct decision there because mm. frankly <sighs> Do you want to do a track by track for those four quickly? I, no, they're rubbish. <laughs> okay. uh, it's rubbish. It's like it's more rubbish. It's seventeen fucking songs, and I can't. I just can't. So you know, I know hilarious to talk about Red Hot Chili Peppers, but I cannot bring myself to listen to it. I cannot mm. bring myself to listen to it. So we will not be reviewing the new Red Hot Chili Peppers album. That band are just too much. Just too much for me, I'm afraid. Instead, we're going to start by talking about Midnight's tenth studio album. From Taylor Swift, the US country pop folk superstar, the follow-up to 2020's Evermore, unless you count the re-recordings of 
uh, Red and Fearless, the Taylor's versions uh, that she did in the after aftermath of that, which I I don't really, I don't actually count that at all. I mean, this album has already broke a load of records. It was the Spotify most streamed album in a single day broke that record 186 million streams on its opening down the platform um the previous record was 155 million streams by certified lover boy by drake last year and the most streamed artist on a single day with 228 million streams across their entire catalog it also broke apple music's record for the most streamed pop album in a single day and amazon music the, broke the record for the most streamed album in a single day as well. Uh, it sold over 800,000 pure albums on its first day, including 400,000 vinyls on its first day in the Fucking US. Um, which instantly on the first day made it the biggest selling album in the US in 2022. Mm. Um, and the biggest sales week for an album since Taylor Swift herself released reputation in 2017 it's also and this is a mad fucking stat the most vinyl records sold in one week in the u.s since 1991 fucking hell yeah that is mad yeah within three days the album had surpassed 1.2 million units that's 955,000 album sales and 284 million streams uh it sold 140,000 copies on the first three days here in the u.s which surpassed the highest of the year thus far here in the uk which was harry's house by harry styles which had sold 113,000 copies uh so it's the fastest selling album of 2022 here in the uk so already already this is an absolutely massive album possibly the biggest album of the year i can't really see since we're already you know getting towards november now mm. nothing's going to come out that's going to top this this will be the biggest selling album of the year i have no doubt yeah i, I struggled to think of anything that could outsell it at this point no uh even um even u2 bring it out even u u2's acdc album with, with kurt blue unre- with <laughs> with kurt blue with two unreleased ed sheeran songs <laughs> on the end as well <laughs> yeah um uh how do you feel about taylor swift in general sam um she's not an artist i've really sort of explored the catalog of too greatly i know the singles that everyone knows like i remember love story coming out back in the day and i knew you were in trouble when you walked in is brilliant and we are never ever getting back together is fantastic and made for a really good mashup there's a good mashup of that and coming undone by corn check that out on youtube that's oh yeah funny. i remember that yeah that's a good one um yeah, I, Taylor Swift has always been a singles artist for me, at least until the last two. So Folklore and Evermore, I thought, were both really, really impressive albums as a whole. I didn't think they were... I, I thought they were really well constructed and really measured in that there wasn't necessarily an obvious standout point on both of them that would just dominate the kind of conversation around it, um, which I think is what we've kind of got here. But yeah, I don't have a great wealth of knowledge around taylor swift but i like what i know mm. i really love the last two albums that came out during the pandemic mm. uh, i love the sound and i yeah i really like the the use of the guys from the national um to do something which uh switched up the kind of country pop or even what became 
the kind of indie pop that she started doing later on in her career mm. um, to something which was a bit like adult orientated folk. I thought it was really cool. And at the time I was like, yeah, you know, this is, this is pretty decent. I thought it was a bit harsh to hear people from more sort of alternative leaning places sort of say and, and, and in, 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 insinuate that Taylor Swift was now a credible artist when she wasn't before. Because I think, you know, like, I I, I think Red is a really great record. I think um, 1989 is a really, really great record as well. Mm-hmm. I think both of those albums are really good and they still, to me, um, would represent the, 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 the best of Taylor Swift. Um, but my first listen of being like, oh, this is cool and it's very, very different from her. Like, those albums have actually stuck with me. Mm. particularly folklore particularly folklore has actually really i think some of the stuff from folklore you know is absolutely brilliant totally brilliant um you know the the last great american dynasty particularly i think being one of the best pieces of songwriting i've heard for many years like it's a really truly 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 excellent brilliant song but if you were listening to Riot Act back when we were doing it, you will probably remember me saying, I like this stuff, but I don't think she should think of it as more worthy or whatever because no. she's got the she's got the ability to write some really great electro pop bangers and I don't think she should be sort of afraid to, to go back and do that stuff because she's really, really fucking good at it. Mm. And she's half listened to me, I feel like, on this <laughs> record because this is very electro- but not so much banger. So it no. feels like this is an inching back towards the sort of stuff that I want to do whilst also keeping the feel and the vibe and the 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 pace um, and the overall emotional heft of that early stuff. That early stuff, that previous stuff that she was doing on Folklore and Evermore. Mm. I think that's absolutely right. I think that is a very fair assessment. I think it does have that kind of... Yeah, it's annoying, isn't it, that people, you know, sort of now see her as a credible artist because people are so sniffy about pop music. They see it as so bubblegum and throw away just across the board. Everything's tarred with the same brush. This album... um, I don't know if it surprised me. I think I was surprised to hear that return to a more kind of electronic sound, but um, I was equally... I'd heard the sort of like build up and everything saying, oh, it's it's a pop album again, not a kind of alt folk album. I was surprised at how um, muted and kind of under the surface everything is. It's not an in-your-face album at all. I mean, when Lavender Haze comes in, it's got this really kind of unusually muted bass line, kind of these washes of almost shoegazy kind of synths and stuff like that. And And throughout a lot of the record, there's these really slight trap beats that kind of tap away underneath um swift i mean typically excellent use of melody i mean there's some great great melodic hooks on here but i don't think they're necessarily it's a bit like when we talked about the jasmine sullivan album with uh Mercury dave last week i don't think they instantly get in your head i think they take a few listens to really embed themselves a song like maroon i thought was absolutely beautiful and had great kind of ambient droning electronics backing up those quite complicated vocal melodies i mean what are you saying about that uh, do you have any thoughts on that song in particular, Maroon? Um, yeah, I think it's good, but not quite as good as Lavender Haze. I think Lavender Haze is great, really great. Big sort of swathes of synths and electronic drums. 
and she does as you've mentioned have this really good knack of making sad sounding pop hooks mm. heartbroken pop hooks and it is you know like i say it's a more electro pop version of what she was going for on the last record i think maroon is good it stays in a fairly similar space i think to lavender haze i think it's not quite as good as lavender haze but i do think it's better than anti-hero which comes up as the third song which i think is decent but we've now gone three tracks that aren't really changing the dynamics of the record that much mm. uh, i am aware that i'm going to contradict myself with this later on the show when i say that <laughs> that isn't a problem for one of the artists that we're covering but it feels like a problem here because i don't know i i think like i liked all three songs but it wasn't that much fun right and it felt like less fun as it was going on but then snow on the beach came in mm. with lana del rey and i thought that was absolutely fucking brilliant i think mm. that song is really slight and very quiet and kind of beyond just straight pop and I I really loved that song. I thought it was excellent. I thought it was a distinct... I, I, I worried a little bit as I kind of preferred... I thought we went from an eight to a kind of seven and a half to a seven. Mm. And then it kind of went up to probably an eight and a half with, um, uh, with Snow on the Beach. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, to be honest, Maroon is one that really stood out to me. I really liked the storytelling of it and the kind of... That... <sighs> <laughs> I don't know, almost optimistic and rose-tinted view of that punch-drunk love that has absolutely gone sour after the fact. I, I really enjoyed, well, the storytelling across this whole album, and that's something Taylor Swift, from what I understand from the bits I've heard of her, is really adept at. I mean, for me, something like Question, I thought, because you saying, oh, this is going to be quite a sad pop album. I mean, for me, that's where it really gets into its stride. Question, I think, it starts with a little, the slightest amount more bombast than uh, a track like You're On Your Own Kid or Midnight Rain to my ears. Um, I thought this lyrical passage of, can I ask you a question? Did you ever have someone kiss you in a crowded room and every single one of your friends was making fun of you, but 15 years later they were clapping too, then what did you do? It's just this really interesting kind of introspective exploration of Swift kind of coming to terms with the way she's been manipulated into this point of fame. And I think it all comes to a head on Mastermind, which to me might be, because of the kind of payoff of it as the album closer, might be my favourite track, where essentially she's saying, oh, actually, all of these ways that I was manipulated, well, I've used certain people in other ways as well. I've really turned, you know, they kind of turned everything on its head. And actually, I am in so much more control. I am the epicentre of my own story in a way that you've perhaps overlooked. And I think that following the kind of revenge pop stylings of karma that she's done quite often. I mean, karma could be about a number of people. I do feel like there's some obvious nods to Kanye West on there. But I think that kind of ending run, I mean, to be honest, I think the back half of this album, I think, is pretty fantastic. I'd maybe take, a, not a take out, but maybe skip over Bejeweled. I found that kind of shimmering creep of it just a little, little odds with the, the slightly more punchy material. Mm, I actually, I mean, I, I agree. I think the second half is probably my favourite half of the record. I think you, you you sort of skipped over your on your own kid, which I think is wicked. Mm. I really, really love that. It's got a very okay. Cure style bass part, and I like it feels much more marshmallowy. And I like her. I, I like it when she does sort of fully indulge in that big kind of dream pop thing. Mm -hmm. um, Vigilante 
it feels like kind of Billie Eilish meets the Eurythmics. It's very Lausch and eighties electro, and it's but it's got this very kind of noir story to it, and it's done on this kind of downbeat thing, which is cool as fuck. Mm. Um, you know, like lately I've been dressing for Revenge Hook is really really good. I quite like Bejeweled. I think Labyrinth is a song that's done better on other parts of the album. Yeah, uh, to be honest, um, I think as you kind of rightly pointed out. Um, the song Mastermind to end the record is brilliant. I think Sweet Nothing coming in between Mastermind and Karma. I think Karma is wicked. I think it is really wicked. I think it's probably my favourite song on the record. Okay. It is the slinky, instantaneous electro pop banger that I kind of dreamed of and asked for. And it's really the only time on the record where she does the thing which I really like. I mean, you know that's just my taste right mm-hmm. i don't think it's necessarily the best made song on the record it's not the most interesting song uh compositionally on the record or anything like but it does the thing that i i most like uh the most i think Do you know what I mean? that's the thing i like the most which is yeah you know fine karma is my boyfriend karma is a cat cat sitting on my lap ah it thumps just a thumper i love it i think it's great i think it's really really good i would say yeah you know like there's um there's kind of out of 13 songs i would say over half of it is stuff that i would definitely go back to it is slightly one-dimensional mm. i think it's slightly one-dimensional as an album not uh, massively but i do think that comes from the production with everything being so kind of muted and uh, kind of monochromatic i think that is where the problem lies i think swift's performance on it is really really good throughout and i think she goes to mm. a fair few different places um with her vocals and her use of melody but yeah i don't think this is her strongest record from the ones i've heard but i think i think people have been quite harsh on it and say it's got so i suppose this goes back to the discussion we were having at the beginning it doesn't necessarily have bangers in the taylor swift sense of you know although you know I, we are never ever getting back together or anything like that but i do think anti-hero i know you said you're not that keen on it i quite like anti-hero but yeah that and karma i mean they're surely made to be enduring classics in her back catalogue i would imagine i hope so i mean you know look like i say yeah i had a few i, I would have preferred a few more bangers in the kind of classic style i guess but i think i think just because she's really good at that but mm. she's obviously in a different place right now and you can't be annoyed at an artist for being like that no like we already said about Avenged sevenfold you know um and taylor swift <laughs> has been hugely successful and i don't you know this is not a cynical record by any stretch of no, imagination no, no. this is not like a oh a commercial cash into anything at all you know like she d- she does not need to do that. She might be an example of an artist who is just like, yeah, fuck it, I'll do what I want. Mm. You know, like we were just talking about you too, saying like, why don't they actually take some risks? I mean, is this album full of risks? I don't think it's full of risks per se, but it is certainly, it sounds like somebody who's doing whatever the fuck they want to do. And that's something which you can't be annoyed at an artist for just doing the thing that they want to do. Although I'm going to have a very good go at being angry at an artist doing what they want to do in a minute, to be honest. So, uh, <laughs> maybe I'm going to have to like, but I think this is really good. It's not entirely sort of set up to bullseye my own particular tastes and what I have liked about her as an artist in the the, the her kind of previous incarnations. But nevertheless, it's really fucking good. And oh, the yeah. thing about Taylor Swift is, is like you say, I think her strength as uh, a songwriter is her lyrics mm. um, as a lyricist and as a storyteller. I think she's brilliant. I think she has a really amazing knack of finding pop hooks 
in places where you wouldn't necessarily imagine a pop hook would be and she just has very interesting uh perspectives on 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 things and you know i know a lot of people will go like oh she just talks about her bloody ex-boyfriends and and it's like yeah but like a i don't think that's true i Mm. think that's an incredibly simplistic view to take on taylor swift and secondly (laughs) people are allowed to write about whatever the fucking whatever the fuck they want to write about if that's the thing that inspires her then why the fuck shouldn't she write about it like what you said what do you want her to write a song about the fucking you know, like Dungeons and Dragons regulations, obviously. like no, no, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like it's ridiculous. Right, so, what about Bitcoin? Yeah. Do one explaining what what Bitcoin is to me, and then do an Ethereum album just for Steve. But, yeah, but make make it sound like Shake It Off, though. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, if you yeah. don't mind, do do that. Uh, yeah, do do that. <laughs> yeah, I like this. Look, it's really fucking good. I think yeah. it's genuinely very good, but it's just not. It will. It will never be my favorite Taylor Swift record. But that is purely down to a stylistic choices that she has made in mm. the production and the style as opposed to it not being good. Do you know what it's, I mean? It's not not well made, is it? Like it is a comp- no. well, more than competently put together. It's a really interesting artistic statement. I think, yeah, it does depend on what side of Taylor Swift's oeuvre you really gravitate towards, whether you're going to absolutely love this one or not. Yeah. Midnight's by Taylor Swift is out now. It's been massive. Let's move on to... Another big record, The mm. Car by Arctic Monkeys, the seventh studio album from the Sheffield-based indie rock darlings, the follow-up to 2018's very divisive tranquility-based mm. hotel and casino. A lot of folk didn't care too much for that album. I remember thinking at the time, mm, that's quite an interesting record to make in my couple, I mean, literally couple of listens that I made to it. Um and I was more interested because I saw people losing their shit, getting really angry about it online. And I was like, <laughs> I wonder what the problem is. And so I mm. listened to it. Um, but I have to say the fact that I can't remember anything from it and that I haven't listened to it for about four years, probably tell you something about how I actually feel about that record. Um, but I do like Arctic Monkeys overall though. And I, I do think that it's fair enough that they're going down a different road from the stuff that sort of gave them their name and that they were initially associated with saying that (sighs) (laughs) yeah um this is uh i think interesting being the word for tranquility based hotel casino interesting is definitely word for this um when it opens with their bare bit and mirable i mean i remember the the sort of buzz around this album before it was released believe that was the track one of the tracks they had played live before the album was announced and i remember seeing the the sort of buzz in the Arctic Monkeys fandom and the internet more broadly, um, going, oh my God, they're back. That's ab- This song's absolutely amazing. And I didn't listen to it because it was, you know, camera phone recording and everything. So when it comes in and it's a kind of woozy, sort of grand ballroom affair, I, I mean, it's, it's, I suppose it's quite lushly produced. It's got these really nice sweeping strings and everything. But God, is it indulgent, especially in Alex Turner's just obtuse metaphors and way way too oblique storytelling like taylor swift can do a storytelling filled with metaphor really well alex turner feels like he's doing the kind of gcse version of what taylor swift's doing at degree level where he's just like well if i put this phrase in here and it doesn't necessarily mean anything people might think oh what a what an interesting artist i think that's quite a good summary of the rest of this album i think the majority of it it kind of just jaunts back and forth between well one note really absolutely one note i think 
The only part of it that I find anything different in is, well, body paint, which basically sounds a bit like the Beatles at times. Um, sets up for this kind of sweeping, epic climax that I don't think it really gets. I mean, it's got a little bit of distortion on the guitars. That's about as bold as that song gets. Um, yeah, it's not great, this, is it? No. No, it's no. not. I mean, I think the thing is, is that... So, I guess... I don't know what's going on here, right? Because I think this is a cool idea. Like, I think this is actually quite a cool idea. Mm. And when you get to the Mirable, right? The first song. And when you get to it, and you press play and it starts, right? That's when you yeah. get to it. <laughs> and I think, oh, what a cool idea for an intro to a, an album, which is going to go somewhere. Mm. But to stretch it out over 37 minutes... I mean, it's not that it's bad. It's just not exciting. No. It's just very, very lax. It's very lousy. It's very lackadaisical. And I get that it's meant to be a more loungy style. But I just think there's a real lack of energy, of intensity. Um, just because music is loungy and soft and slow, it doesn't mean that it has to be without energy no. and without direction and without, um, you know, and, and without intensity. And I think this record lacks those things. I, I, I think that is the thing that, that this record really lacks. Mm. I think there better be a mirror ball was okay because I thought the production sounds good. And I thought it was a kind of tease of where we might be going, a kind of big Baroque pop tease of a thing. And it actually ends up being one of the highlights of the album, even though to me it just really sounds like an intro because the swell is is great. Mm. You get the second song, I Ain't Quite Where I Think I Am. And the opening second, literally, it's about two seconds when it opens. I'm like, oh, this sounds good. And then it just vanishes and you get Alex Turner sort of going, dim, dim, bip. I mean, it is it is Vic Reeves' club singer, isn't it? Absolutely, is that tweet that's been going around that is really accurate because it is a blue, and you get this kind of porno guitar, and it's like this is this isn't going anywhere. And then the chorus sort of comes in, and that big sort of bass line and the the swelling vocals come in, and you go, okay, that's good, that's good, mm. but it's brief, and then you go back to this, and you're like, no, I just don't think. You know, it, um, Sculpture of Anything Goes, I thought, has a sense of dread surrounding it mm. that I actually really liked. I was like, there is a sense of something here. But there needed to be something else with it to actually make it more engaging. Otherwise, it is just a sort of soundscape. Mm. And we get to Jet Skis on the Moat, and that's where I was like, I, I was, you know, it sounds 37 minutes long. It's not a long record. But, you know, we're four out songs in and I was like, I'm getting, I'm really running out of patience with this sort of already. <sighs> I mean, again, there are albums we will talk about that don't have much dynamic range this week. This one has the least dynamic range, I think. Yeah. And again, it's fine if it's a, a good place to be in in the first place. I'm not really sure that this is it's a load of i mean you mentioned body body paint and it just feels like a bunch of undercooked ideas that don't really fit in together you get kind of get a bit of a kind of cowboy thing on the title track mm. oh yeah there's, i mean the, 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 there's no songs on this 
No, there aren't songs on this. I think the closest it gets to one is Big Ideas, which, to be honest, I would find it hard to single out uh, apart from any kind of lyrical hook because it is a song that sounds exactly like basically all the other songs that have come before it. Um, I think this is the only one where I could actually see some sort of narrative running through it because, well, the idea to me was that it's this kind of, I don't know, a sort of faded former glory band playing the vegas residency circuit and then you get in big ideas uh, he's talking about i i had big ideas the sand uh, the band was so excited and then he's got this qu- quite sort of profoundly sad riff coming through at the end with distorted guitars and then he says i just can't for the life of me remember how it goes almost as if it's like we are rejecting everything we've done before and it's like that's fine bit of reinvention is often good for an artist um but it's got to be done well hasn't it and this just isn't it's just a wash of yeah, half-baked ideas. And and I did, I said to Steve before we started recording, I was a bit lost with this because it's just such a kind of melange of jazz ideas that I did have a look at a couple of reviews. And I saw a couple of uh, reviews from reputable sites or reputable publications, I was to say, who were describing this as kind of the beginning of the post-song era. And it's like, no, no, that feels like a very convenient way of saying, I like the Arctic Monkeys and so my critical faculties have gone out the window and I'm going to allow them to make this really indulgent wash of noise. And believe, I, I like a wash of noise. I listen to Mersbo for fun. But this this isn't the one, mate. No, I don't think it is. I think, you know, like, you've got to have something mm. that is going to seep into your listeners' consciousness if you're going to do this type of thing mm. what is the point i mean i've seen you know comparisons with burt bacharach burt bacharach just wrote pop songs mm. like burt bacharach was not trying to challenge anyone it's fucking pop songs i've seen comparisons with bowie with the sort of berlin era bowie again there's some fucking, fucking songs yeah. there's some weird shit on those records and it's far weirder than anything that's on this record mm. But there were also inescapably brilliant, memorable songs from first to the, of every album on Low, Station to Station, Heroes, all that. T- like, they are fucking full of memorable songs mm. that ended up going years and years down the line. You people, you shit that would be like iconic in his back catalogue, right? Mm. This, and, and yet it was still weird and often ambient and you know, Baroque and and all that stuff. They're not going so far that they're making The Drift by Scott Walker. <laughs> no. And they're certainly not going to Burt Bacharach territory where it's just like, here's a really nice sort of soulful, croony lounge pop song. Because these songs, nothing really jumps out. Like, And Alex Turner is a bit of a problem on it, I reckon, because he mm. doesn't sound like he's even attempt. You know, it's all kind of spoken and thrown away. All of the lyrics and all of the vocal patterns are sort of shrugged out. And I get it. Like if you, you know, what you described as, oh, we're a band who've lost our mojo, whatever, you know, we've, we're trying to kind of recapture former glories. Yeah, yeah. That's all that. That's fine. That's fine. If you want to try and inhabit that. But, to do it to the actual detriment of the music that you're making and the record you're putting out, I don't understand. And this is really disappointing, this record. Because I do remember at least thinking with um, uh, with Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino that I was surprised at what it sounded like. 
Mm. Not entirely, not completely shocked. I think some people are like, oh my God, what have they done? You know, I think if you listen to AM, you can hear like... Uh, there are nods, nods as to where they're going, yeah. That they're going to go in this direction. And it is quite a leap. But this doesn't even feel like that much of a leap. This feels like the second half of an album that I think is roundly considered their weakest to date. I mean, I would just about take the car over the previous one, but then I haven't gone back to Tranquility Base for quite a while. So I don't know if that's um, just the kind of 2018 brain of mine where I was only listening to the Dillinger Escape Plan taking over again. It might be. I mean, you know, I have no idea. I have no idea. Uh, Nothing has really stuck with me on this album particularly, and I have listened to it a lot. I mean, I'll be honest, I'm not in a hurry to listen to either of them again. No, I was going to say I've listened to it the most out of um, everything this week, which isn't true because of what we're about to talk about. But I have probably listened to it the most out of everything that we've had for a week because I was like, there's got to be something here. And Mm. I'm not sure there is. I'm really not sure there is. So there you go. Uh, the Car by Arctic Monkeys is out now. It's divisive, um, as is our next record. This would be interesting as well, I think. Architects. Mm. Architects have a new album out. It's called The Classic Symptom of a Broken Spirit, the 10th studio album from the Brighton-based metalcore, tech metal band, whatever you want to call it. The follow-up to their number one album, for hey. those who wish to exist, which came out last year. Uh, which was their first album written entirely without the late, great Tom Searle, who mm. played such a big part in establishing Architects' sound and oeuvre in the past. And um, without him, I felt like they released an album in For Those That Wish To Exist, which clearly was trying some new things from that record. And I think they got enough of it right overall for me to think good you know like they're, they're kind of relearning how to be a band i think a lot of people maybe missed that a little bit on the last one like oh it sounds different and blah and all that yeah, yeah, yeah. um it's hard to just go oh you know we have to completely relearn how to be a band in in uh, essentially um this album is definitely a streamlining of some of the things that they were doing on for those who wish to exist and it feels like they've picked that stuff from that album that they felt worked and they are really going with it um sam mm. do you you like architects don't you uh i like some of architects back catalog so i don't think there's anything i outright dislike that they've done um but that three album run of Daybreaker, Lost Forever, Lost Together, and All Our Gods Have Abandoned Us is undoubtedly fucking brilliant. I mean, All Our Gods, mm-hmm. in terms of modern metalcore, I mean, it is almost oh, probably, if not certainly, the apex of that thing. Um, for those that wish to exist, um, I think was definitely an interesting kind of reinvention. And as you say, it is in the wake of losing... The sort of main songwriter and well literally a brother of one of the members of the band so i can't imagine the kind of monumental task it must have taken to move from holy hell with those you know final bits of recordings and ideas held together to totally being on their own um in a post tom cell world um i didn't massively enjoy that album i couldn't i wouldn't say i disliked it but there was not enough of it that really grabbed me immediately on the first few fair few listens 
And I think a lot of that for me came down to the vocal delivery. I found Sam Carter feeling quite, <laughs> I wouldn't say bored, but he sounded quite run down and tired on that album. And I don't know if that was a deliberate stylistic choice, but for me, it really didn't hit the mark. Um, the bit of, for those that wish to exist, that I really go back to is basically Goliath featuring Simon Neal, and it's mostly for Simon's involvement. But I do think, in terms of songwriting chops, trying a different thing that, you know, I know a lot of people pointed out that definitely exists in a post-Sempaternal world. I thought they did a good job of it. And they are songs that are clearly made to be heard live, but they didn't inspire me to go to the live shows. I think this is a bit more of the same done to a slightly higher standard, basically. When we get... Oh, go on. Hmm. No, no, that's interesting. Oh, well, I was going to say, I mean, when we get deep fake. Um, I did think, oh gosh, yeah, okay, this is basically going to be, for those that wish to exist, part two. And to be honest, I'd be lying if I didn't say I like the main riff on this song. Uh, and I like the synths that kind of judder along in the background. It's cool, it feels lively and energetic. And then Sam came in, and I was thinking, ah, this could be the clinch for me. And I think, doesn't massively inspire me, but I think he's got a bit more heft behind his voice in, in the three sort of modes that he really goes between, which is the, the falsetto highs that he typically does in the pre-choruses, the lower cleans that he's doing in the verses, and then the old school shouts that he was doing on the, well, the Holy Hell and previous stuff. So, fair play, you've won me over there. Tear gas, I mean, tear gas, that riff is, it is Sonner by Rammstein. It is Sonner yeah. by Rammstein. Yeah. Um, is. Which is which is great. I've got no problem with that. Sonner is a fucking brilliant song. Um, and it's closer by Night Snails, the vocal melody is closer as by Night Snails as well. It is, um, and then you get the kind of nursery rhyme delivery of that. Anything is possible, we could be unstoppable, which I don't like, and that does take me out of the song quite significantly. Um, to be honest, I, th I find a lot of these songs to exist in, I mean, we were just talking about Taylor Swift and Arctic Monkeys. Um, I think, again, a lot of these songs exist in one particular mode, and that's why, for me, it's very easy to pick out the highlights. So Burn Down My House, I thought the heavily fuzz sort of deep riff that's creeping underneath and then sam carter's softer vocals that really feel quite powerful even though he is almost kind of semi-spoken whispering them thought that was great when we were young and doom scrolling i think as a one two are fantastic i think picking up the pace for when we were young it really really helps it really helps break up the album that to this point has properly stayed in one register um and then I don't know, Doom Scrolling, the dancier feel of Dan Sell's percussion, I think is brilliant. And that makes me want to go and see this kind of thing live. The idea that I could go and have a boogie to some big riffs is awesome. Other than that, I mean, All the Love in the World, I think, does have the chorus of the album. That is a fucking great chorus. The repetition of that title and Sam's use of melody across it is brilliant. The rest of it, I all find a little bit just boring which I feel really bad for saying because I know that, like, you know, they have been through the horrific circumstances that they've been through and they are reinventing and they are doing what they want to do. Again, it seems to me very, very abundantly clear, particularly through their kind of social media um, interactions with people and stuff like that. This is very much what this band want to do. And that is absolutely fine by me. I'm just not that taken with it. I think a lot of people seem to be in the same uh the same boat as you um it was interesting going to see them the other day and mm. they played a lot of these songs and i tell you what they all sound 
a lot better live. Like, or I say a lot better, but I think they, you, I think you will go back to this album and be like, oh, that was cool. That's because I was listening to them and seeing it live and I was like, this is a fucking great song. This is fucking brilliant. I mean, you mentioned All the Love in the World and I think that is a, that is a wicked song. It's so wicked. Um, and, you know, they only played, I think they played like one or two songs for it. It played like a couple of songs from Holy Hell. Everything was basically, there's nothing kind of pre All Our Gods. Mm. I think they only played one song from All Our Gods as well. Yeah, I had a look at the set list. I, I know which one it is so if you want to go for it. Yeah, and it, it was yeah. just interesting like to see a band who at this point, who, you know, who, when you've been listening to them for a long time, that band who made, well, even Daybreaker at this point, mm are kind of long gone anything prior to that it's like that's gone even the kind of lost together lost forever stuff i'm like i'm wondering if they're even gonna bother with that now and i think there's a very you know you mentioned semper eternal if anyone who's bought the recent metal hammer you will see my review of this record and i think you know my my thoughts haven't changed hugely towards the record really i get this as a as a thing as a as a thing that they're doing i absolutely get this is it the most dynamic architects record? No. Is it the most technical or original? No, definitely not. Like I don't think I think even they would they would struggle to justify saying that it mm -hmm. was. But it is an album that I pretty much guarantee you will come back to if you let those songs get in your head. It sounds like Sempaternal, right? So many bands have had a go at doing that thing. And I think it's it's hard for architects because as I said earlier with Avenged Sevenfold, they have arguably already made a bunch of quote-unquote definitive albums already. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, Lost Together, Lost Forever, All Our Gods Have Abandoned Us. Uh, do you know what I mean? Like, they are, I think, generally at this point considered like modern metal masterpieces. Yeah, for sure. And so some folks are going to bitch and moan. It doesn't sound like the thing what they want it to sound like. Mm. But the thing is, is that these are really, really catchy songs. And I can tell you from first-hand experience, having seen them live, they work incredibly well in a live environment. And Bring Me The Horizon are kind of lucky in a way, right? Because Bring Me The Horizon, when Sempaternal came out, everyone was just surprised that Bring Me The Horizon had made a good album. Because everyone was like, <laughs> you know, I thought the, the two albums before that are really good, actually. But, you know, it's rare that a band's breakthrough album or biggest album is also their best album mm. and obviously bring me have gone on to have number one albums and have had bigger you know i think that's the spirit is probably a bigger album at this point than sempaternal or, or, or whatever and maybe ammo is as well but you know i still think that is absolutely considered bing definitive album breakthrough album best album commercial whatever album you know they've mm. got to wembley on that that album and stuff and you know <laughs> That doesn't happen to most bands. Most bands release, you know, even Metallica didn't, you know, Master of Puppets, people say Master of Puppets and Ride the Lightning are the best Metallica albums, but the Black Album's their biggest album. Yeah. And so if this ends up being a bigger album for Architect's career than, you know, fucking uh, All Our Gods, and it may well do. I'd be um, stunned if it wasn't, to be honest. In terms yeah, of sales, be, yeah. Yeah, I think it probably will make them a bigger band because... It's just the thing that, you know, they're going out into, they're going to be playing the O2 with Biffy Clyro in a few weeks. Mm. 
Like these songs have got to work live. And I think, you know, Deep Freight is a big, glorious banger. I mean, you mentioned All the Love in the World. I mean, that chorus, after seeing it the other day, Oh, the love in the world is fucking brilliant. And there are so many bits on it that I remember. Now, you know, that it took the ark and sold it all for parts. That is really catchy. When we were young. You mentioned Tear Gas Nick in the riff from Sonna, the vocal pattern from Closer. And that, that you know, when, when you said it, you know, anything is possible. We can be unstoppable. Like, that is stuck in my head. And you yeah, might yeah. think... You might think to yourself, you might go, hold on a second here. A couple of weeks ago, you were slagging off the Devil Wears Prada for doing exactly this sort of thing. Why are you now sticking up for architects for doing this sort of thing? Here's the difference. is that I've just sung four hooks from this album and they're 10 albums into their career and they've made the definitive albums, if you like, of their career, right? Architects don't even need to make a good album now. They can make an album with two good songs on it. And they they could, they could make an album with two good songs on it, two big singles, a load of filler, a load of fluff, stick those two big songs into their set list alongside all the stuff from, you know, all of their previous classic stuff that you like, which has got them, let's not forget, has got them to headlining Wembley and Alexandra Palace, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they don't need to, to make the best album of their career. But... I cannot remember a single solitary second from the Devil Wears Prada album. I can't remember any of it, right? And I already know this New Architects album, basically fucking front to back. And I, and I admittedly, like, I reviewed it for Metal Hammer, so I've had it a lot longer than most of you lot, and I know it's only been out a week. But I don't really care about the so-called, I mean, particularly the metalcore credibility of a band, if they're <laughs> going to write big-ass tunes. Like, I don't yeah. really give a fuck, to be perfectly honest. Do you know what one of my favourite metal releases of the last few years have been? Right? Go on. It's not been Paradise Lost or Paul Bearer or Catatonia or Cult of Luna or any of those more credible chin-strokey bands one of the only few metal albums that I go back to that's been released in the last two years is... I think I've got it. Senjutsu. No, it's not. <laughs> it's the last album by King810. Oh, right? okay. Which no one has spoken about ever since it came out. No. And they didn't really speak about it at the time. But the King810 album, who are a band who are often <laughs> a little bit sort of... <laughs> Uh, you know tried. I've got this gun, don't you? You know I've got this gun. Yeah, they do that. But also, you know, like they, you know, they, they had a go at doing something really, really kind of weird and experimental and trying loads of different stuff. And it was a, you know, some of it worked and some of it was a bit of a mess. But that last album was packed chock full of really super instantly memorable things, right? And it took me a while to go. I just do new metal aren't they they're just doing new metal here like fuck me those songs are super catchy mm. like you know you go to songs like go i'd say to some of you like go and listen to like suicide machines or off the new like there are so as i'm talking about it now there's like most of that album is really really catchy just big stupid daft as fuck turn me on mr dead man by the union underground bangers right there's a mm. reason that limp biscuit are bigger than Cult of Luna, right? And architects have proven that they can do something similar to those worthy bands like a Cult of Luna or whoever, right? They've already proven that they can do that. They've done that and they've gone, actually, it'd be quite nice to play the O2 of Biffy Clyro and have people 
sing along. The end of yeah. our songs. Yeah, right. So it'd be nice to have a bunch of songs that will actually work in those venues, won't it? So that's what they've done, and it's worked for Brimley Horizon, and it worked for Brimley Horizon because, like I say, they weren't really considered a, a band of a good band in their own right. So when they did write some great songs on Saint Paternal more of that to come on our Patreon page, by the way, very soon. People were like, oh, wow, Bring Me The Horizon can re- write songs, not, oh, no, Bring Me The Horizon, they used to be really, really good, and now they're just writing pop songs. I mean, people say that now, though, don't they? Well, people do say that bring now. Me, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, both approaches are fine. Both approaches are the correct thing if what you're doing is of a good enough quality. Mm. And for me, most of this record is of a high enough standard where I'm like, this is really catchy. I saw it the other day. Sounds really good live. And it's, you know, like the stuff on it, like a new moral low ground, which is, you know, got a really heavy riff on it, but mm. it's ultimately still manages to be one of the most poppy things on the record when it gets to the really clean bit. But the first bit is really heavy. And then it goes into that really catchy, um, close to the bone bit with that massive riff and that sort of, that slow loungy bit in the middle is really wicked. I like it. And, you know, again, what are you judging? Are you judging the form? Are you judging the content? If you're judging the content purely by do these songs do the things that they're trying to do, yeah, they do. If you're judging it in form and go, is this as good as, you know, is this as interesting as, you know, like, oh, well, I've been a fan of Architects for, um, you know, since 2006. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I can remember when, um, when, they, when they brought Hollow Crown out and, you know, why aren't they doing that now? Well, they're not because it was 13 years ago so they're not doing that anymore yeah i mean they don't want to um, they don't want to yeah so why are you judging it against that you shouldn't really be doing that you know again like <laughs> the problem with the arctic monkeys album is not that it sounds the way that it sounds the problem is is they don't appear to have either gone far enough with it or kind of know what they're doing with it whereas architects seem to know their way around this particular style mm. it's not that it's not that deep it's just catchy what's wrong with that yeah Nothing. they know they know their, know their way around a melody and a big riff and i mean for some people that's not enough and you know whatever more power to you um you know i <laughs> i like the rest of you will come and see sixth instead but you know sixth are not going to be playing with biff clara anytime soon are they i think so the difficult thing is in terms of sort of comparing form and content and stuff like that I think with for those that wish to exist, people, uh, Architects fans didn't have a point of comparison for that album in their previous work. So that I think uh, I certainly was, you know, really taken aback by that stylistic change. With this, I think it is a refinement and slight improvement on the previous album. My problem with it is, is that I just find, I think the vocal melodies are the strongest part of it. Where the last album I felt they were the weakest, I thought they were a bit of an issue in terms of me getting into it. For me, on this album, the vocal melodies absolutely carry it. It's the structure of every song being almost exactly identical throughout. You know, it all starts with that kind of desaturated riff. Then you get the big punch when it comes in. Then it drops out again while Sam's doing the verse. And you've got a kind of drum pattern underneath. And then it comes in for the chorus. It's like, that's cool. That's fine. Those songs are good. I don't think each one of them is distinct enough to carry this album front to back. And it doesn't make me want to go and see a full tour of this stuff. Which is fine. That's just my taste on this. I don't. Th- I couldn't say it's an objectively bad album, but for me, it is quite a a dull one. That is an improvement on the previous one. And like I said, when I was you know chatting with mates about the last album, I'll be interested to see where they go next. I'm not 
fucking writing architects off. You know, I'm not one of these, wow, mm. go Blair again, do really heavy songs, do Nihilist 25 times a night. But I don't care about that. I, I will definitely keep an ear out for their next album. This one hasn't blown me away, but I think it's showing signs of improvement, you know, enough that I'm definitely keen to see, hear more. Yeah, I'm just looking at the track listing now, and I think there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven of the eleven tracks that I could sing to you now. Mm. That I that that and 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 that is enough. Yeah, like I mean, for me, that's enough. That's I, I, yeah, this is not a dynamic record, but to be honest, unlike the Arctic Monkeys album, I think it's a much more fun place to be in. Oh throughout yeah, it's forty-two. I mean, the thing is, as well, is that you know architects to me they also feel like they're having fun now do you know what i mean i saw mm. I, I saw him the other day and sam said in between he said you know um we're you know we used to be quite a dark band but we're actually just trying to enjoy being in a band now we're trying to have fun being in a band and i was like you sort of sound like you are as well you sort of sound yeah. like you're you're trying to make you know kind of catch they're, they're kind of they're not quite major key in what we're like what we're about to talk about but and you know it's not the most original thing in the world. Like yeah, like I say, it sounds like Semper. I mean, I think I think the thing is when you go, when you go and listen to. So this is obviously not the best Architects album, and it is. I've, I know I've compared it a lot to Sembaternal. When you go and listen to Sembaternal, which I did the other day, you realise that fuck me, that album is really good. Like mm. really, 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 very, very good. And no one's been able to do that since bring me the horizon did it and bring mm. me the horizon have got something which I, I don't know what it is but they've just got something that none of these other bands have quite got and i think architects <laughs> um it jordan fish is jordan fish yeah, I, think, <laughs> I, I think it might be you know yeah. um i think jordan fish is yeah i think it might be jordan fish right um and i don't quite think architects are th- this is not like mm, what's the, how would i put i don't i'm not necessarily sure that this is their natural dna right whereas you look at someone like jordan Mm. jordan fish comes in and that's what jordan fish has been doing and he's kind of kind of crafted the new iteration of bring me horizon in basically in his own image and with ollie's kind of personality and and that's sort of what they've 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 done and that's how they are as a band now right and that's what they are because i think architects like they already had a very strong sense of what they were and it wasn't this but now it is because that's what they want it to be. And I think it, it maybe doesn't quite come as naturally to them as it does to, well, not even bring me, but Jordan. But, mm. you know, they're still good at doing it. And I think, you know, like I saw Dan on Twitter saying, oh, some people are, you know, saying that our new stuff sounds like fucking um, Imagine Dragons. And I did go, because oh, I, mean, I didn't say Imagine Dragons. No. I don't know much about Imagine Dragons, but I don't really think that's an insult. Really? Like, I compared them to the 1975 and Foles and Glass Animals. And although, you know, like, they're much heavier than than, than mm. all of those bands. But I still think what they're trying to make people do with these songs is the same thing as... I think they would look at a band like Foles and go, what you want people to do when we when you, when you they see you live is what we want people to do when they see us live. Mm. Which is have a good time and jump up and down and sing along and... Do you know what I mean? And yeah, not yeah. circle pit and punch each other in the face, which is well maybe <laughs> what they wanted ten years ago or whatever. So I don't actually think it's an insult at all. I think it's just a completely different thing. And you know, people, a lot of people have bitched and moaned about it. And I think it's, um, you know, again, it says quite a lot about the type of people who like metalcore. I think yeah. that that yeah. they, uh, you know, it, 
if you don't like it, you don't like it. But I think mm. kind of, I mean, there's been a lot this week. Sam saying about yeah, there's been you know, people bringing stuff. up stuff that like, oh, Tom would be disgusted, and that is fucking that's absolutely um, disgusting, fucking yeah. outrageous thing to say. Like really, really, like truly horrible, pathetic, pathetic thing to say. And um, and I don't think that that's you know, there's there's no there's no fucking justification for that whatsoever. Mm. And um. But if you don't like it, maybe just don't like that style. And not necessarily. I don't, I don't think they're. I don't think they're bad at it. I think they're. They're quite good at it actually. I think they're quite. In the, the, for the most part, I think they, they've got quite good at this. I think the more you listen to this album, the more it will seep in. The more you'll be like, oh, actually, these hooks are really quite big. I mean, you know, again, like I didn't listen. I didn't go. Well, I must listen to that King Eight One Zero album again and again and again. I just <laughs> gave it another go, and I was like, that's quite a good song. That that is actually. Oh yeah, I remember this one. It's quite catchy. Oh, that's quite catchy. And now it's just like go to Meathead dump the table headbang like catchy heavy metal mm. with big riffs great like it's not a problem like it, it, it's really not a problem at all i think it's good so anyway there you go um the classic symptom of a broken spirit is that what it's called that is what it's yeah. called isn't it the classic uh, symptoms of a broken spirit yes yeah and they were really good the other day live like really i'm sure good. yeah i mean to be fair i would like to say I saw Architects for the uh, first time of two times I saw them was at Alexandra Palace in 2018 and it remains one of the best gigs I've ever been to. It was fucking incredible. Yeah, they're uh, fucking excellent live. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So, um, and they brought a new they brought a new guy in to do they brought a Jordan Fish style character in. I mean, that's a Jordan Fish style character. Timothy Haddock. On, they've got a bloke yeah. <laughs> um they've got a bloke doing um keys and backing vocals and he does lots of like you know backing vocals for sam and stuff now which makes okay. sam's voice sort of so yeah it, 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 it was really good if you All get right. a chance to see biffy obviously get there early and see architects and i think they'll i think they'll do well with biffy actually i just know I, I think they will yeah i think they will mm. fare well it's yeah i'm just uh i'm not on the bitchy moany side but it's just not necessarily my cup of tea fair enough that's absolutely fair enough uh let's move on to the new album from devon townsend light work uh, we'll make light work of this. Uh, he's done it. Ah? Nah, don't worry about it. See you later. Uh, the, the 21st album? Is it? it oh, fuck. One, of, one of many no albums. Idea. He's got so many albums, this guy. Maybe. From the he's Canadian pizza. mad scientist of progressive metal and beyond. I suppose you would say it's a follow-up to last year's The Puzzle and Snuggles albums, which I think were released on the same day i don't really remember because i w listened to one of them and it was absolutely fucking bonkers it was mental <laughs> well it is beyond devin townsend, mental isn't it? it is devin townsend uh i love devin townsend he has that thing that is so utterly unique to him and no other artist have i listened to every single thing devin townsend ever done no i haven't are there bits of devin townsend's back catalog that i completely adore and i keep going back to rather than going deep down the rabbit hole and everything yes i guess you'd have to say i'm something of a fair weather fan but mm. it doesn't mean that i don't love devin because there's a real skill to be able to do the thing that he does which is to have five seconds of devin townsend and you go and someone says who's that you're devin townsend yeah. It just definitely has to be him. And I think that's really, really, really difficult to do. And I love it when Devin brings 
pop hooks and that major key wonder into his material and this album has loads of that ergo i think it's fucking great oh brilliant i'm really glad um yeah i really like this as well um i would say i am also a fair weather devin fan i tend to like the kind of diametric opposites of his um back catalogue so love strapping young lad particularly alien and city you know they'd be the big ones for me and then empath i thought was absolutely fucking brilliant genesis the first song empath i mean i know everyone loves kingdom and don't get me wrong kingdom is an amazing song but i think genesis off the front of empath it might be my favorite devin townsend solo song i think it's just glorious and it's so bizarre i mean how many songs do you find where there's a a kitten solo in the middle of it and yet it all works (laughs) and it doesn't feel it doesn't feel weird for the sake of weird it all feels like it's done very deliberately and very methodically but by a man who maybe can't always help himself with the abundance of ideas he's got so i was a little surprised when i pressed play on this you get moon people and it's got that kind of plodding funky shuffling percussion feel of it and i thought oh it's not what i expected from devin but then i caught myself because it's like well you can't really expect anything you should expect the unexpected and you know ergo you're never gonna second guess what he's doing i thought it was really cool the way that it sets up the album as really really lush but surprisingly slight all the way through it's a really gentle album for the most part with one notable exception and it's just a lovely space to inhabit again talking about kind of i mean this is far less one note than anything we've talked about thus far but it does stay in a similar register by devin townsend standards um there's a bit where it all drops away in moon people and these spiraling strings start to build and come in and then you hear devin just go no stop it and then it goes back to kind of this more lush lucid instrumentation it's lovely i think um the one track that really stands out almost like a sore thumb a little bit is dimensions it's got this racing electronic pace and some heavy guitars and i did think oh it's on the run from um dark side of the moon again brilliant um but then you get that industrialized percussion and you get a kind of electronically manipulated devin townsend where he sounds like an angry robot before you get some full-on strapping young lad screams and the end of that song the last minute of it that is strapping young lad to a t isn't it I think that might actually be my least favourite song on this album because it feels like it underutilises Devin, who is so clearly the best part of all of the music that he's involved with. I think his vocals getting buried in the mix there. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't really do it for me. Um, but then you get something like Vacation, which is just a kind of a drift along a sort of a nice sun-soaked seaside as you get into the twilight hours. It's just him and an acoustic guitar and then little accoutrements of kind of electronic swabs and everything. I think this is a lovely album. It's a really nice space to inhabit. It's like going on holiday with Devin. It is. It yeah. is fucking dead good, this record. I it think is. It is. Uh, I think it is, is really, really good. And I think um, you've already sort of said about a bunch of stuff. I mean, you know, the, the opening song, Moon People, that kind of shuffling drum pattern sort of reminds me of um, Tears for Fears in the melody that Devin adds onto it as well. And Devin hmm. kind of rides along on that. And it's got this dreamy pop song sensibility with just slightly harsher guitars. That's mm. the thing. This isn't really a metal record. It is ultimately like some kind of dreamy pop record in a lot yeah. of ways. But it's kind of progressive dreamy pop record with fuzzier guitars. And, you know there's a sort of pop metal waltz to mm. the to light worker um 
which was was really really great um there's almost this sort of aor adult orientated rock sort of sheen to a lot of this which i think is so unusual to hear Mm. in heavy music call of the void is incredible super catchy really emotionally stirring really charged you know and like again you know like heartbreaker i think is great i'm just basically gonna name all the tracks because they're all really i think they're most of them are just brilliant like there's this metallic riff it's a metal riff that he plays on heartbreaker Mm. but he plays it so delicately and i love that feels really dreamy seven minutes long it doesn't really feel like seven minutes because it's effortlessly nice yeah to be in the presence of this quite sedate feeling heavy metal riff um the heaviest song i think that you, you mentioned dimensions which i think is like an electro pop it's like gary newman doing strapping young lad <laughs> yeah i mean well to be fair gary newman post pure he can basically do anything so yeah he can be, yeah. basically yeah um and you know there's but i mean some of it is i mean some of the stuff that i've written down for it like celestial signals sounds like proper cheesy aor shit like the voice by john farnham you know that song you're the voice try and understand oh me. yes yeah, yeah, yeah. i do know that one oh from alan partridge isn't it? Alan yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely yeah yeah solely just the president sack- of the united states of america just yeah, get just- in an alan partridge show yeah just sack pat um <laughs> and um you know it's 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 the a rare thing in sort of quote unquote metal that this is a, a got dainty sort of delicate shit like really mm. fucking dainty delicate quite bubblegummy stuff to it but it still sounds brilliant like heavy burden has a kids choir and yeah. how shit the kids choirs usually sound awful but you know you've got this broadway funk pop sound with a kid's choir and it still sounds really good you know there's stuff like 90s fleetwood mac that it reminds me of on vacation mm. and i think children of god the final track is it's 10 minutes long it's quite a journey it's probably the only time on the album where devon really gets a little bit weird like this yeah. is not it's not a weird album this this is like you know I, I suppose it is because it's unusual to hear a metal artist doing something which is you know so sort of dreamlike and delicate and smiley but devin has done that before and like you know you mentioned epic cloud which i fucking I mm. love epic cloud but this feels like epic this feels like a similar sort of almost like a kind of stylistic sibling to epic cloud but it, yeah epic cloud yeah, yeah. was really like oh in your in face, your face and this yeah. is this is actually like a much more laid-back record i think this is i think this is fucking great i was a bit mm. like because he's got so many albums i listened to the last one i was like i am maybe i sometimes think to myself do i need another devon townsend album to listen to mm. do i actually need that and i was a bit like oh, i don't know i don't know and there, there was a chat between me and you we were like do we even need to do this because you know devon townsend's got so many albums i'll probably put three more out by this time next year and, you know, do we, we shall we do it shall we not like you know but it's so good i'm glad that we did do it because it's yeah. really fucking good it's really a, good it's the loveliest thing we are touching on this week by quite some distance i think because it's yeah it's just a really nice space to inhabit i mean children of god that you singled out towards the end there i think is it is the weirdest the album gets and even then by devin standards it's not weird which in itself is unusual for a devin townsend album but i think that one is a really cool amalgam of everything that's come before it in the album, bar that bit in Dimensions where it goes a bit strapping. Um, it's just the beautiful kaleidoscope of 
Devin's kind of nicer side. I think it's lovely. Really, really like this one. It is dead good. I mean, if you're someone who is quite a uh, casual Devin Townsend fan, then I would say I am that. Sam submitted that he is that. Yeah. We would, I think I speak for both of us when I say we would recommend this record. Definitely. So, you know, I mean, if you're a hardcore Devin fan, obviously you're going to go for it. If you're not, this would be one. Be a good go entry for. point, definitely. Yeah, this would yeah. be one to go for. I would have said that stuff that came out at the end of last year, I'd be a bit like, don't, don't, don't bother with that. But <laughs> this, do bother with it. It's really good. Mm. Really, and he's really such, good. such a charismatic presence, it's hard not to just enjoy yourself the whole time. Yeah, he's excellent. Yeah. Uh, that's Lightwork by Devin Townsend. Right, let's move on. We've got two, one full album and one EP before we leave. Let's talk about Loyal Karna, Hugo. This is the second studio album from the London-based rapper, the follow-up to his 2019 album, Not Waving But Drowning. I remember giving that a quick listen back when it came out, but I didn't pay loads of attention to it. I've got to be honest, there's probably mm. some absolutely essential post-rock for me to be listening to <laughs> back then, I'm sure. I had someone tell me on the day that this came out that it would be worth listening to, and I was chatting to Merlin mm. of the loud the hammer metal thing. hammers yeah and and he was going oh mate i might listen to that new Laura connor album because he actually said he was a bit like an english will smith which i think is a mad thing to say but mm. um but you know i just sort of from when i heard Laura connor i thought it was all right i thought it was nothing more than that to be honest you know i know he'd been nominated for brit before but i just thought it was all right um but this is a significant step up in quality to me um do you have any thoughts prior to going into this album about Loyal Karna at all, Sam? Uh, to the best of my knowledge, I don't think I'd heard of Loyal Karna. I might have heard the name in passing. I certainly was not familiar with his music at all. Um, so, yeah, this uh, has totally come out of nowhere for me. And I I feel like you're kind of skirting around it. I'm happy to say it. This is the best thing we're covering this week by a country mile. This is yeah. a borderline masterpiece, I think. Yeah, this is... I think going to be in when we come to doing some sort of album of the year thing, I think mm. this is a shoe in for the top 20, at yep. least the top 20. Um, it's fucking brilliant. This record. So to give you a little bit of background on it, essentially it's a kind of uh, exploration into um, it's a very personal record, quite a mm. cathartic record that deals with both Loyal Karna's, the death of Loyal Karna's father and also the birth of his first child, I believe. Mm. Um, all kind of written during lockdown, all kind of written during the pandemic. And it's very, very reflective. And it has an anger that I didn't necessarily immediately associate with Loyal Karna. But also, you know, there's stuff on it which reminds me, I'm... I'm I, I don't think it's quite as good as the Dave album from last year at present, but I do think that it is at least worthy of being mentioned in the same breath as that record. And I think there are thematic things on this record that mm. are, are definitely related to that. I think the first song hate comes in. It has this broken beat soundscape and goes into this really amazing shuffling soul and he has an intensity to his delivery which is not angry intense it's not shouting it's actually quite measured in his delivery but mm. you can feel some real um some real kind of pain in his voice i think and 
you know, I hate time. I said, I fucking hate time. When he says that, that line, it feels like real angry. Or my nurse at the front, or my teacher's where you at. It feels like a really kind of um, intense way to start this record. Mm. It's fucking brilliant. And when it comes in with Nobody Knows straight after with this incredible yeah. piano and gospel working in tandem, it is brilliant. I mean, it is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And again, Lorcana really really amazing flow some fantastic lyrics lots of stuff about his upbringing mm. losing his dad wrestling with how he felt as a child um and how he felt about his family as a child and how he looks back on it now and how he kind of wishes that it's a thing that i think a lot of people do you kind of wish oh, when i was a kid you know i could now i can see that my parents were you know were trying to do this for me because i now i mean i'm not a parent but i can see you know you sort of go like when i was a kid maybe if i'd have behaved a bit more like this i kind of regret being like that but then you also you kind of look back and you go well i was just a kid and, and he really kind of wrestles with that in a in, in quite a quite a moving way i think mm. yeah i mean nobody knows certainly um delves into that i think the one two of nobody knows and georgetown which features um john agard agard i'm not quite sure um but I think for me, the thing that immediately grabbed me um, with the record was very, uh, I mean, painfully, almost kind of uncomfortably candid um, introspection about his um, well, his relationship with his race, basically being a mixed race bloke growing up in kind of suburban London or urban London, I should say, rather. I mean, in Georgetown, you have um, John Agard's poem, um, Half Cast. Uh, which I understand is quite a seminal piece of work. I can't say it's one I'm familiar with, I'm afraid, but it is, the the song is centred around a reading of that. And then if you, hearing that, going back to Nobody Knows, and even Hate as well, go back to Nobody Knows, it's the, I'm asking who am I, because my kid will maybe have them blue eyes, and he will understand the pain that's in mine. And late at night, I wonder maybe that's why, because I never want to hear the same cry from a kid who doesn't fit in to the world that he he live in, a half-cast just kidding. It's like, fucking, his delivery on it is mm. heartbreaking. And I think heartbreaking mm. all the way through. And as the album rolls on, I mean, I think by the time you get to um, Polyfiller in particular, and then the final song, HGU, you can hear him. Yeah. I mean, th- that pain that you say that you hear in, hey, I think it's inescapably uh, just captivating and <laughs> leaves you on the verge of tears when you're listening to something like Polyfiller. Where he's talking about his own act of violence for growing up in his you know, family home. The, the the sort of metaphor of the sins of the father being passed down that you know kind of cyclical well i suppose hate that goes on and there's that lyric you know i've been trying yeah to break the chains of the cycle this is you know it's as much a an album about himself about his relationship with his father about his father and about his child and i think it's yeah. absolutely incredible and the that final note of hgu that ends the recording of just quite a sort of normal conversation about when he's going to see his dad again next in the context of everything that's come before it is i mean it's touche more stage four levels of heartbreaking yeah Absolutely yeah I was, devastating I, I was going to bring that up i think there's you know weirdly there are lots of um rather than kind of hip-hop or soul or r&b artists there are actually quite a lot of rock and alternative artists that i was getting um the same like similar feelings from when i was listening to this i mean homerton um is uh, which is the, the the sort of fifth track on the album mm. i think is is absolutely 
amazing as well i mean i think when you get that it's got this sort of smooth piano it's um, so gentle shuffling drums yeah and either um junior williams or uh, olivia dean i'm not sure which one comes in and it sounds absolutely bloody lovely mm. and then you get kind of kind of very explicitly detailing where he was born and how he was brought up and thinking about the influence his family had on him and how the influence that he's going to have as a father another apple falling from the tree trying to fall even further out of reach i thought that was an absolutely spectacular beautiful line. beautiful line it's really cool really interesting and really simple and that kind of the, towards the end as well the horns and trumpets and the dual melody of the vocalist behind khan as well sounds absolutely amazing like really really amazing um georgetown as well was produced by Madlib, we should say, is the one. Even mm. apparently, that was going to be um, for a, 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 a collab that he's going to be doing with Madlib, and you know, Madlib is a, a great, great producer, and it does sound kind of stylistically quite, um, quite, uh, you know, very uh, not typical in a kind of obvious way, but like, oh, just typical sounds like he sounds like. But it sounds like it's got his. You can it's got a trademark, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a little touch of two tone to it as well, like you know, the 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 sort of and, and which makes sense when you think of what he's talking about in mm. you know the kind of mixed racing and how two-tone scar came from i guess white people discovering reggae and black yeah. music like i think that was a lovely little nod to that as well sound of plight is amazing and that you know that reminded me of something that could have been on the arab strap album from last year if it was a young person from london making it rather than some grizzle elderly, <laughs> like middle-aged Scottish Scotsman. Men. Yeah, yeah yeah and and it's about how you have to really how hard it is to try to not be seduced by the more glittering things in life not to be mm. obsessed with your status and material things and success and it's a really cool exploration into that mindset and how to sort of try to avoid it i think there's a song called blood on my nikes which is uh, yeah. you know heartbreaking again it's really descriptive and you know Lord khan is not a he's not a you know when you talk about hip-hop like the the dave album even though i compared it to this you know i think that's a that can be a violent sounding record like mm. he doesn't shy away from the kind of the reality of the violence whereas this record i, th I think he actually does temper it back and almost be like I, i'm not gonna you know there's not a lot of swear i think there's any swearing but there's no swearing and not a lot of kind of violent imagery on it at all really like mm. uh there's a, i think there's a little bit of swearing but not loads and like you know blood on my nikes is you know it, it's really descriptive without being kind of explicit but it's ex descriptive of violence and but more about fears of violence than actual violence itself fears of violence what real fears of what could happen mm. to the person that you feel most protective of in the whole world um and i just i actually found uh there's something on um that he's written a kind of track by track thing on apple music for, for this album on hgu it's really really cool because like you say at the end of this record it is a spectacular way to end the record he says this is about forgiving my dad and forgiveness in general it's not even forgiving him it's about forgiveness for myself if i mm. hold on to this carry this albatross around my whole life it's weighing me down i've taken so much from hip-hop and i wanted to give something back within rap everyone else is like if your dad left and he's rubbish you don't need to forgive him just let that anger be your motivation i think that's cool to an extent but it can cripple you if you let it go further than an initial youthful, youthful rebellion it's a nice little reveal at the end that we're in the car the album is called hugo because my dad's car was called hugo and he taught me to drive over lockdown it's a small story but with some big topics mm. I think he summed it up absolutely perfectly. I mean, yeah, that song, yeah. HGU, it is the resolution to the album's exploration. It is that absolute sort of letting go 
And mm. it feels like, I mean, I don't know Karna's previous works. So I don't know if they've particularly touched on these topics in quite as much depth um, before. But it feels like whatever we get next from him will be a very, very different Lord Karna. And I'll, I'll be absolutely fascinated to see where he goes next. I think this is a staggering album. And the use of kind of, I suppose, taking from the culture in which he <laughs> but simultaneously feels a part of and then also sort of, kind of ostracized so, um in blood on my nikes there's that speech from um uh, a teenage activist called atian akek i believe that's how you pronounce his name and it ends with compassion over indifference equality over austerity as knife crime claims more lives within our country never has so much been lost by so many because of the indecision of so few and you know this is a really pointed album that i think by pointing the finger at itself it exposes so much more about societal conditions in general particularly i mean i can't empathize with this position but for someone of color and particularly someone of mixed race i can imagine it's even more kind of <laughs> difficult to try and fit into any kind of society because you know he's talking about i'm not black enough for the black guys i'm not white enough for the white guys um there's so much to mine on this i mean i don't think i've even really scratched the surface i think i've got a bit of a handle on it and i can't wait to spend more time with this record yeah, and it's worth saying it's just over half an hour long. Again, yeah. 10 tracks over just over half an hour, and he does more in that half an hour, I think, than probably uh, <laughs> everyone else does put together in the rest of this week, to be yeah. honest. It yeah. is fucking amazing, this record. It is easily, easily the best thing we are covering this week by yeah. a quite considerable margin. And I really like the Architects album. I was just super positive about the Devon album. I mm. think Taylor Swift album is very good. Been off the bloody Arctic Monkeys album. Is crap, yeah. And we're about to talk about a really, really cool EP from a really great band. But this just dwarfs everything, I think. Mm. This just dwarfs everything we're doing this week. It's absolutely brilliant, this record. Completely and utterly brilliant. And I, I think you should go and listen to it. I think you would be off your fucking rocker to ignore this record it's mm -hmm. fucking amazing so there you go loyal Karnas hugo is out now um let's end with waterloo teeth by sugar horse a band i've already slagged off for not being big enough to <laughs> <laughs> break into the top 10 this week don't mean it lads i think it doesn't matter it just doesn't matter does it? it doesn't matter how many records you sell you make good music this is a brand new ep from the Bristol noise band, noise goth band, yeah. the glummiest glumpsters of Bristol. Their debut album, The Live Long After, came out last year, going to my top 20 albums of the year. It is and remains a very, very good record. Still, I think, uh, one of the best records of its type that has come out over the last however long. Um, this EP is short and sweet, four tracks, features contributions from members of Idols, McCluskey, St. Pierre, Snake Invasion, Conjurer, Pupil Slicer, Black Peaks, Harriet, and Mike Venart of Venart fame as well. And more. And more people than that. Even more. That's just a few. Uh, but essentially what we get is a, um, a, a a kind of brief Sugar Horse version of Axe to Fall. Over, <laughs> yes, I think so. <laughs> over, um, you know, how long is this? It's uh, not like super, just over it? 19 minutes. Yeah, like less than 20 minutes. Mm. So um, the first song, Disco Loadout, 
is less than two minutes of those 19 minutes. Mm. And it's just fucking horrible in the just best way possible. Disgusting horrible. wall of noise with Damien from St. Pierre and McCluskey and Ash absolutely screaming their bollocks off. It's lovely. Yeah. It, yeah. Filthy, but lovely. And you got Debbie Goff as well from Harrier. I think there's a really, <laughs> really impressive vocal turn as well. I'm not mm-hmm. mad keen on Harriet, but I mean, she is clearly an incredibly talented part of that band. Yeah, you know, I think that is a really, like, a really obnoxious way to start this EP, which, you yeah. know, you, you know, you're a, you're a heavy, very, very heavy band. So why not? Why wouldn't you do that? And then it's followed up with um, a song which I thought was really cool to hear Will from Skin Failure, formerly of Black Peaks, uh, doing some sax. Mm. Doing some sax here. Like, I'm not, we, we not really heard Will do much in the way of sax, but on the title track, He's doing some bloody sax. Him and Dave Larkin, formerly of Black Peaks, um, and uh, Paul Tierney from Lonely Tourist doing some stuff as well. You know, there's that broad, spacious, gothic wash of the song, which I think is really cool. But it's that last minute where it Mm. becomes super intense and gets really heavy that I really love. That song's great. I mean, really, really great. That last minute, I mean, it is monstrous. And Gardner's sax, you know, Will's sax absolutely sounded like it's been, I don't know, crushed by steamroller while he's playing it it made me think of um latter day ken mode to be honest with that horrible squalling brass accompaniment to really fucking filthy riffs but then it all comes at the end of that beautiful dreamy shoegazy section and sugar horse are able to do those two things so fantastically um and i think paul tierney's um solo vocal that kind of signals the the coming of that nastiness at the end it's great it is absolutely brilliant i think sugar horse are able to paint an apocalyptic picture that isn't just hellfire and brimstone it's so much more bleak than that this is it's like the road versus dante's inferno the video game <laughs> as opposed <laughs> on, to the uh, epic poem yeah on on uh, on uh, amiga yeah 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 do you know what that is I, I like the game it. gear myself the game gear he knows it he knows uh, some stuff from the past well done sam <laughs> he's done um, it gutted with pupil slice and conjurer is the really really discordant heavy one isn't it mm. it's very very heavy crushing i'd say crushing we all right be calling it crushing i i would say so I, i've just put okay. immediately horrible yeah. yeah and when what i assume is nuala honon mm. uh does that kind of ethereal break with ash um doing some sort of clean vocals on it as well it's really cool sounds amazing i love the way that it kind of quietens and down and mm. then begins to build itself back up again almost like the weight of the world makes it implode in on itself and it has to kind of stop you know it has to sort of rebuild itself from nothing before it can kind of destroy itself again that's great and um super army soldiers the last track little ricky gervais reference there is really great as well feels like a sort of evil stone roses i've put down here with connie matthews from witch elm giving it something else which is a little bit more ethereal but i I, again Mm. i I like that this is really cool really quick really dynamic maybe more dynamic than three of the full-length albums we've reviewed this week i would say so without a shadow of doubt to be honest yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah, um yeah i think i mean gutted it's always lovely to hear Dan and Brady from Conjurer doing their disgusting vocals, just absolutely battering you. I mean, crushing, as you say, is the word. Um, and then Super Army Soldiers, I think, is the other side of the Sugar Horse coin, um, kind of in its, well, yeah, basically for its entirety, where 
even towards the end when you've got those heavy um, distorted baritone guitars coming in you still got this blissful arpeggios over the top I mean it reminded me of Spill, Spill, uh, Phil Spectre in Hell off to Live Long After in that it starts off really dreamy and ethereal and then hits you with that absolute wallop at the end but still feels good you quite like being punched by this song as opposed to feeling like you want to cry when you're listening to Disco Loadout or Gutted you're gutted yeah it you is are. it's good it's really, I know. I, 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 I really, really, I really love Sugar Horse. I think they're mm. fucking great. They I are. Think they're fucking great. Fucking brilliant. You haven't seen them live yet, have you? No, I haven't seen them live. May no. you've got it. They're so loud. May, may, you haven't seen Sugar Horse. <laughs> oh me, oh me. Oh, um, no, I haven't seen them live yet. It's a bit annoying, actually. It's they're fucking brilliant. They're fucking they, brilliant. Can they support Lizzo? Um, I will get Lizzo on the blower and ask. If I support Lizzo, then I'll see them, won't I? Because I'll go see Lizzo. They yeah. should be they should be on the Cure tours, what they should be on. They really should. I, then I the sound... Twilight Sad and the Cure. That would be fucking yeah, brilliant. That's what I think. But then I did sound like, you know, I, don't know, I remember when I was saying... Palm Reader should be headlining download. When people would say to me, when I'd say, when they'd go like, oh, you come out of drama school, you're going to be an actor. Yeah. You should get on EastEnders, mate. And I'd go, <laughs> oh, yeah, I've never thought of that before. What have you thought about being Iron Man? Yeah, fucking ridiculous. I mean, yeah, Sugar Horse should support The Cure, but I don't know how logistically easy that is to do. I, I guess mean, you get in Robert Smith's fucking ears, don't you? That's how to do it. Everyone tweet Robert Smith when this comes out. Send him the Spotify or Apple Music link. Oh, I'll tell you what, buy him a copy of the EP and force it upon him at one of the shows. He'll love that. Yeah, because he's a very forthcoming man, isn't he? He is known for his um, cheery demeanour. Yeah, uh, but I do really like Shakur. I mean, I think from kind of drugs, and then there was the, the yeah, if that's how you say it. And then there was the sort of the one-off single that they put out with that fucking horrible video of the bloke down the London Underground, um, which was fucking weird as well. Um, but but really really good. And then the album came out, and at first I was like, oh, I'm not sure. And then it really grew on me loads, grew on me mm. loads and loads and loads. And now this with all these guests and stuff like. I don't know, just, there's not, again, you know, it's sort of, it's like what I was saying, to bring it back around to architects again, um, (laughs) that I don't want to do. But the thing is, is like, if you are a band who are, you know, like, unfortunately, we joke about a sugar horse, you know, going on tour with a cure. Unfortunately, these days, it's all the kind of, the the more simple stuff in guitar music Mm. that, gets you that's what gets you to these those sort of places unfortunately so that's why architects are doing that thing is because that's what they've got to do Mm. but if you want something which is sort of genuinely artistically challenging and a band who are really thoughtful and have loads of different ideas swirling around their collective heads and aren't afraid to just sort of take the plunge and do them and then when they do them they fucking pull them off i mean this is the sort of band you want to be looking at yeah I mean, Sugar not Horse architects, are. really. Not architects, no. really. You know, you, that, they're not the sort of band. You're not, you shouldn't be looking at them for that. Oh, it's not as good. No, come on. If you want... this is Listen to this then. If it, you know, you can't yeah. have it both ways. No, if you want something that's absolutely crushingly heavy, but artistically incredibly dexterous, goes to all these different places, and will satisfy basically every listener. I mean, I think Sugar Horse are one of the best young bands, if not... Well, no, they're probably one of the best young bands in the UK going at the moment. I think they're fucking brilliant and they haven't missed yet. 
And I don't expect them to anytime soon, to be honest. Everyone should go and listen to Sugar Horse. Stop tweeting Dan Searle and complaining about Sam not doing Blairs anymore and go and listen to Gutted and have your face ripped off. And then Super Army Soldiers after for the come down. I mean, it is a good... That's good advice. First time for just everything. just good advice. Yeah. It's good advice. Anyway, I've got to go. I'm going to go and see Wargasm tonight. Oh, uh, that'd be fun. I'm not really... You could Obviously. have been. You quite liked them no. live last time you saw them. They're your new <laughs> favourite band. No, 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 no. That's not true at all. That is not true. I did hear um, they oh. outsold Cave In in Manchester last night, which I think a few people were very annoyed about. Well, you know, there's no point getting annoyed, is there? No, really, there isn't, really but, no point yeah, getting annoyed. Um, by the way, while we've been doing while we've been doing this, um, Slam Dunk have announced some bands. Do you want to know who they've announced? Oh, go on. Go. Is Yellow Card there? Uh, I think they already are. Yeah, yeah. they are. They they, oh. they they already were. Yeah. Oh, fair Froggy enough. Molly. Froggy Molly. Uh, no, thanks. Gogo Bordello. No. I'd like to see Gogo Bordello. The Hunter. Don't know that. Spanish Love Songs. That Man Crying. Yeah. Um, movements. Do they not have any vowels by any chance? Uh, no, they do, actually. Uh, okay, fair they enough. I'll are... take it back. They might be all right, then. I'm looking at their Twitter. You can text them. What a ridiculous thing to do. Can I send a... Text us. Carrier Pigeon. Uh, yeah, uh, sincere engineer. I don't know who they are. Don't Never I? heard of that before. Um, the men singers, lovely, good. Uh, Boston Manor, Wargasm. What a surprise! Yeah, They're there, favorite. aren't they? Your lads, Vakovi. Okay, Stag Dress. Oh, and. <laughs> <laughs> No. We came as Romans. Oh, your favourite. The lads themselves. I might go dressed as uh, the dead one Ooh. and be like, ooh, I've come from beyond the grave to go to tell you to do more breakdowns. Zero, one, zero, one. Fucking rubbish. Rubbish band. Uh, anyway, that's enough from us. <laughs> I'm glad we added that little extra <laughs> slam dunk. Bit breaking, of news. News. Yeah. Uh, breaking news. Breaking uh, news. We'll go now. We'll go. Uh, we'll be back next week. We don't know what we're doing next week. Might have a guest or something again. Who knows? Who can say? Who can say? Well, I mean, I... Well, you can literally say. can. You're just... I, you're withholding information from our dear no, I don't. I, I mean, I actually, that's, I, I couldn't say because I my memory's gone to shit and I couldn't say. I'll tell you what, though. I don't know if you've heard this. Well, the whole show... Bonjour has been running around my legs, squeaking at me, squawking at me. And the second I go, anyway, at the end of the show, she's gone into the other room. <laughs> I have two and a half hours. So. Okay, fine. Well, you might hear it on the finished product. But yes. uh, yeah, you're naughty. Anyway, see you later, guys. Thanks very much for listening. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Bye.